thank you for the download. It's Monday, September 28th, and this is episode 28 of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassi, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Assault Masaki. How's it going, Josh? It's good. Excellent. I've been confirmed COVID negative. Good to hear. Good to hear. And Skipper Ben, what's your COVID status? The, t- the tone was a little bit different on that one. I don't think it was the original recording. Maybe he Ben's COVID it. test is going to come back alcoholic. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, something like that. No, uh... I got nothing tonight, guys, so I hope you guys uh, prep for this show. <laughs> this is a Ben show, so uh, we're in trouble. If... <laughs> I thought that was next episode. Nope, this one. Uh, yeah. It has been a few weeks. Most notably uh, in Disney news, we have a new Beauty and the Beast ride in Tokyo, uh, and we called for your listener questions on the Muppets, and that's going to be the primary focus of the show. But uh, why don't we kick it off with discussion on this new Beauty and the Beast ride. It officially opens the day that this show is coming out, September 28th. Uh, but some preview videos have come out unofficially, and we all got a chance to watch those. And as we've established, that is the best way to experience a ride via YouTube. <laughs> so why don't you guys, uh, Josh, why don't you kick us off with what your opinions of the attraction were when you saw it? Sure. Well, I think this is kind of a, a cool one because we all three independently basically described it in one word, and it was the exact same word, which was just solid. Yes. Um, and I didn't put a lot, I wasn't like trying to predict what you guys were going to say uh, <laughs> when I wrote that, but but that's really how it struck me because I don't think it's something that's, uh, you know, game changing in terms of, you know, the state of the art or anything like that, nor do I think it's, you know, probably the best example of storytelling that's ever happened, but it's a good ride. Like it's worthy of being a Disney attraction. It's not one, it's yeah. not primeval world, right? It's not something that you would experience <laughs> be like, what were they thinking? Um, so yeah, I mean, a solid job all around. It's, it's one of those things that can do one of those really important feats for a park, which is like add capacity and suck people into it. No one's going to walk away like disappointed. Right, um, right. You know, it's going to fill, you know, 25 minutes or however long the whole experience is. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, I, I think it's going to be a good, you know, arrow in the quill of what Disney's got to, uh, to offer. Quill, right? Is that the right word? Quiver. Quiver? My bad. <laughs> so, I think a quill is a feather-like pen. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, not that we were derailed already. Uh, ben, same question. Uh, well, Josh, since Josh said that we all described it the same way, uh, what he said. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Uh, no, it was you know, very cool, very cool ride. Uh, I think uh, we'll get into it here in just a second. Uh, the, the flow of the attraction uh, was a little... I don't want to say underwhelming, but there were there were definitely highs and definitely lows on the on the ride, which is fine. Every ride's going to have that. Uh, I think when I I had to take a step back though and look at it from a total experience uh, point of view because the first time I watched it, I, I did feel pretty underwhelmed with the attraction by itself. But then when you factor in the queue and the the pre show area is just flat out amazing. Okay. Uh, the way they incorporated the audio animatronics, uh, you know, the, 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 the audio animatronics they had in the queue, in the pre-show were the ones that they were teasing us for the last year. And we all thought those were going to be part of the ride. And so when those showed up in the balcony areas in the pre-show, uh, that I just thought that was a really unique and something that we're not exposed to very often where you get to see some of the big payoffs before you even get on the ride. And luckily those, audio animatronics carried over into the attraction itself and it starts off great with the uh, be our guest scene and some of the 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 way they uh divert your attention in different ways so they can add audio animatronics to the big banquet table uh that 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 scene is is fantastic that's fantastic uh 
but I'll let you uh, you you talk with your thoughts, and then we can get to a little bit more. It's it's after that scene there where things get a slightly questionable for me uh, before a, a pretty awesome payoff at the end. So, uh, but all in all, I mean, I definitely would love to experience this. I, I would, that, I would love to go itself, on this and ride it. That scene itself is like I totally agree. That is like Disney at its best. Right. That, yep. that sort of that's far and its away move. the best scene of the ride. Yeah. Um, and you're, you're starting out with it and that makes sense from the chronology of what you're doing here. It's a book report ride. And I think historically we all haven't been big fans of those, but to, uh, the the disjointed comment that kind of happens when you're boiling a 90 minute movie down to a six to eight minute ride, you're going to have a level of, uh, disconnect there. So, um, it's part of the problem with doing that. But anyway, certainly agree. Solid attraction. I, think it's the e-ticket version of little mermaid if that makes sense that uh there Which are one's, comp- is is wakefield the beast and derek's bell how's that work no 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 not not the e-ticket uh, report podcast oh. i mean oh. like the actual just to clarify that <laughs> prior bad. to the existence of the podcast that i was on <laughs> uh disney utilized a ticket system to measure their okay anyway so <laughs> You can send your mansplaining complaints to Tim's email address, and I will make sure that they are read on air. Anyway, um, no, so I, I think it's kind of like it's a step above the Little Mermaid, and the the way that they did this from a ride vehicle standpoint, the ride vehicles are, are unique in themselves. I don't know what capacity is on it, but the vehicles hold, I think, nine or ten people, so it's probably pretty efficient. And for that reason, to uh, the comment about. Uh, people that go on it are going to be satisfied and it, it may not even necessarily be a draw to the park for a prolonged sustained period of time um, but it's going to, it to be it's going to be much in the same way that like little mermaid is a uh, people eater like you go on that ride and 2000 people can go on that ride in an hour and it just kind of continues to round out your day is another thing you do uh, this is a, certainly a step above that i don't mean to uh, mm-hmm. uh, disparage it in that way but it is a it is a solid attraction, but uh, it's not without its flaws. For me, the biggest one was that I wanted to see more of the kill the beast scene. I think you could have done a lot uh, a lot of cool things with strobes, and you could have just had some wow moments when the lights go out and the lights come back on to really uh, 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 hit that part home. But I wouldn't be surprised if this was a conscious choice because they've been very wary of making. Fantasyland attraction scary. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. probably the reason why they didn't do uh, the killing of Ursula scene with a great effect, a great emphasis in The Little Mermaid as well. So the kill the beast scene in this would be what I would have wanted more from. But again, this ride wasn't made for me. It was made for mm-hmm. families, and we always hear those stories of people being scared by Snow White's scary adventures. So I, I could see that that being the logic. But uh, I would absolutely welcome it in Fantasyland in Florida. And uh, in deference to to other Fantasyland rides that they've built in the past, I'm a little shocked it didn't have fireworks at the end. They did that in Frozen. <laughs> they did it in Little Mermaid. Um, I'm I'm surprised there wasn't fireworks at the end of Rise of the Resistance, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> but no, it looks like a, a solid addition, and I, I would absolutely welcome it in Fantasyland in Florida or California. Would it only be allowed in Fantasyland? So there apparently was a choice between this and Ratatouille. I was just going to bring that up. Yep. Um, Martin Smith has been stating that for a while. I think thematically 
Ratatouille fits Epcot a little bit better. I have not experienced either one in person, but again, strictly from YouTube videos, this appears to be the better ride. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to be, I'm going to gravitate more towards physical sets and animatronics. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that Ratatouille makes more sense there. And I am also of the opinion that if you're going to put IP into the parks, that it should all be contained within the same park. So I don't like that you've got Beauty and the Beast across three different parks right now. I, I would assume, or I would prefer to not have it in Epcot's France Pavilion as part of that sing-along. <laughs> um, the, uh, the stage show could go away in Hollywood Studios and that you could put a ride like this in Fantasyland. So, I mean, at the end of the day, this is the exact kind of ride you can build when you add a new attraction instead of replacing something else. Yeah, like there's, absolutely. You know, and that's what Disney would have so much more license, honestly, to provide capacity and sort of a, you know, a richer bench of rides to, to uh, you know, let guests enjoy if they would just add things. I mean, that blessing of size, I think Walt intended for it to be used at some point. And I, I really feel like Disney's done a lot of sort of, you know, eating its own. And, you know, I'm not sure that that makes a lot of sense in the grand scheme of things because you end up with the problem that you just described is not, I think it's even worse than that. I, I, you know, you can make a strong case as to why there's, you know, certain types of, or certain families of IP that span across multiple parks, but there's a lot of sort of thematic incontinuities that have been introduced in the last few years that are much harder to defend. Um, you know, and all those problems go away when you just, you know, let the boundaries move out instead of trying to, to replace something old and timeless with something that, uh, you know, is really sort of tuned into the flavor of the month. Not the Beauty and the Beast is, but certainly with Frozen, we've seen this kind of shoehorning sure. that happens when they want to, you know, get an ROI on an attraction while, while the, there's still a lot of buzz on the street about the IP. Got a uh, hypothetical for you guys on this. We talked a couple of episodes ago about the Splash Mountain redo on uh, Princess and the Frog, and we kind of all agreed that replacing Splash Mountain as opposed to retrofitting Princess and the Frog into it would be our preference. If they if they were to replace Splash Mountain with a Princess and the Frog equivalent of this attraction, would you accept that as a replacement? So I, I'm not sure that I'm on board with that premise in the first place, to be honest. I, I'm not sure I agree that I'd rather see it replaced. Okay. I'm not sure that I disagree either. It's I, I get I sort of see both sides of the equation. I made the, the counter argument there to I think perhaps change your mind on that during the show itself. Where well, I said that we he, don't they he, don't build twelve minute rides anymore. F- true. But here, here the thing I think about is this. The way that I would defend the existence of that attraction in light of its you know, clearly racist progeny, or yeah. no, that's the opposite. The thing, you know, it is the progeny of that pure, uh, purely racist, very clearly racist film, right? Um, if you stop using SAT words, you wouldn't have problems. Like I, this. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, uh, but my so, my point was basically that I don't think a lot of that story is critical to enjoying the ride. Um, so that leads that's, me to that's wonder fair, if, actually. You know, if maybe they change, if the IP, either the IP is really an important part of that, in which case it needs to go because of its racist connotations, mm-hmm. or it isn't, in which case they can retrofit something else in there without destroying the heart of what it is. And I don't know, I don't really know. That one, that one's sort of on the fence to me. There's definitely certain rides that I can tell you for sure. This is like the core of it. This is the spirit of the thing. That one, I think it's an environment ride as much as it is about the story. And as long as it's the, still the whimsical music, and cute. The music, though, is the driver of that ride. True. And, and that's, 
that's integral to the movie as well. And, as well. But I that mean, music is integral to that ride because that's the way we've always experienced it, which is different than it being integral to the ride because it actually has to be there in order for it to be good. Like if there had been a different soundtrack on that ride from the very first time that we wrote it, then you know that's what we we would say that that's irreplaceable. But right, it was, if it had it, cut forever soundtrack, it would suck. We got it. <laughs> He had to open up that wound, huh? <laughs> yes, yes. Ben, I cut you off. I was just going to ask if we're going to replace the BR Guest restaurant with this ride since uh, COVID has ruined restaurant capacity and they're not going to be able to make money on that uh, facility like they used to anymore. So, Well, you, you know my move. It's moving into small world. And that yep. gives you plenty of space to do this. But uh, <laughs> neither here nor there. Uh, and I'd, I'd take up Pinocchio's Village House as well. So you can add in another restaurant. Um, I love that I come in with, hey, you know what Disney should do is build a new attraction instead of replacing it. Tim's like, let's just pack it up and move it. <laughs> I got an ad from Frontier this week about like trying to resell Roller Coaster Tycoon 3 in a different format, I guess. So I'm I'm all for just like picking stuff up and plopping it down where it needs to go because you, you can just, do that in the game. You just became a huge advocate for the whole black box model, you know, to a large degree. That is something they would be afforded if they had, you know, basically a modular attraction system where they could, you know, move them. I mean, heck, you could probably transmit most of the content of, of these. If it was a universal ride, you could, you know, send it in a fucking zip file. Um. <laughs> well, there are people uh, in just reading opinions of this because they haven't been universally positive. I think we can all say that we would absolutely be fans of this ride. Uh, and just because we're not, you know, heaping the the all of the praise in the world on it doesn't mean that it right. wouldn't that it isn't a fas- uh, fabulous attraction. There have been people that have been openly critical about it and have been openly critical about the location positioning uh, positioning trackless vehicles, uh, saying is it perhaps uh, being now overutilized when we were clamoring for these to be stateside that they may not be utilizing them as good as they can, and they may have hit their mark with uh, Mystic Manor and uh, Who's Honey Hunt. And if that's the opinion, it could be a vocal minority that's voicing it, but that would say that that black box experience would be absolutely more of the same, mm-hmm. and it may not be as useful. But I, so, I'm not against that concept uh, of the black box experience, but uh, there still needs to be good a good implementation of it. It's not just a warehouse with a blank canvas. You still need to have some semblance of, you know, life and reason why we're telling this story and reason why we're using this vehicle, that sort of thing. So, so I, I got a question for, for both of you guys. I, it seems to me that, and this is sort of a dumb analogy, but when I look at wireless ride based attractions uh, or wireless, uh, excuse me, you know, uh, trackless vehicle based attractions. Yep. It reminds me of like wireless electronics versus wired electronics. It is not the case that one is better than the other, right? Wireless has obvious advantages because yep. it's convenient. Yep. You're not tethered to anything, but if you want it to be as fast as it can be or as reliable as it want, as, as you need it to, or as, as it could possibly be, you want wired, right? So they, they have different value propositions. So I wonder what is, you know, the, the, it seems to me that the real value proposition of a trackless ride vehicle-based attraction is that you have it do things that you couldn't do with a track. Right. So, it, see, and maybe I'm wrong about scene. But it makes me wonder, like, when I see an attraction that basically could have been done with a track using a trackless vehicle, what do they gain? Because it has right. to be more expensive. It's probably less reliable. I assume the capacity is going to be lower, than certainly, than you could with an Omnimover type of attraction. So... Yeah, I do think we're, I think we already are seeing these things being put in where the question is, why not just have a track? That was my primary argument for, or against Ratatouille, that the attraction is perfectly fine, but you unnecessarily utilize the ride system. Yeah. 
that it looks like a perfectly uh, acceptable family-friendly attraction, but you used a ride system or underutilized a ride system that you paid mm-hmm. uh, probably 50% of the ride's cost for. I don't know what that number is. I'm just throwing it, pulling it out of my ass. But it seemed that something like Pooh's Honey Hunt, Mystic Manor, and I have to say even Beauty and the Beast better utilize that ride system. I mean, the defense for that probably is it gives them flexibility to change the, the, the ride experience down the road. But we've seen time and time again. Yeah, they don't do that. That they don't do that. When these things are fully baked, That's pretty. they don't go back in the oven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that ride could have worked as like a bus bar Fantasyland ride. Maybe capacity is a little bit better with it, but I, I feel that there's ways to account for that as well. I mean, it's a very, very complicated solution to a relatively simple problem. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> That's what Imagineering does best. It's impressive. I mean, those vehicles really, really are impressive. And if, if for those of you who have never actually seen a trackless ride system mm-hmm. uh, in person, go, you know, go see one of them because they are, these are not toys these are very complicated large powerful machines that run with incredible precision you know if you have any nerd in you that can appreciate that then they are they are a spectacle all by themselves you know it i guess i'm i'm not arguing with you guys i'm i'm going wondering more with the argument that you brought up tim about people saying these are being overutilized at the moment i mean looking at things like uh rise of the resistance mm-hmm. like it, having a track system like this allows you to do things that you would not be able to do on a track-based system, uh, in my opinion. I, again, I haven't done it yet. But this is all, all from what I've seen and heard and, and watched on YouTube. But even even something on the Ratatouille side, you know, I, I, until any of us get to actually experience it, there, there do seem to be parts on that attraction where your cars break off from the other ones and it has almost a scurrying effect like a rat would have through smaller condensed areas uh to move you through and you're not seeing the other ones around you i don't know it i'm not seeing major examples of where uh i just don't think that like eliminating that aspect of it i don't think that really changes the ride that much to what is probably an additional hundred million dollar cost do we know the cost though at this point is it is it could there be a reason a few minutes uh, you know, they use it so much now. That is, has it be maybe become more cost efficient to do something like this than what we maybe give it credit to be? Maybe. I mean, you know, the company that makes it, well, I say it like it's one thing, but the, the biggest company I'm aware of that makes those systems, excuse me, <coughs> sorry, is called uh, Oceaneering. Mm-hmm. And I believe they also have a track based ride system. So I would think that, you know, if it's just, it could, because sometimes you, if you're in an industry, you've got a company that comes and they just do better work than everyone else. And that's, you know, it makes sense to, to go with them. Like IBM in the, you know, 60s and 70s, there was an old quote among business people that no one ever, and it was a marketing term for IBM that no one ever got fired from buying IBM. You know, mm-hmm. so I can see how if you've got a ride system vendor that just constantly, you know, brings incredibly high quality stuff that doesn't fail, that there'd be a, you know, an impetus to buy from them as opposed to a competitor. So if Oceaneering does in fact have a track system and they're still, you know, based, it seems to be the go-to is these trackless things. You know, when's yeah. the last time we've seen a bus bar system or even an Omnimover? Uh, Omnimover yep. last one, probably Mermaid, right? Mermaid, the yep. only one I could think of. So that would have been 2012. Uh, Ratatouille's budget, and this the source of this was a couple of internal documents that I was given pre, uh, I believe, 2017 D23 Expo. It was forecasting Epcot's six- to seven-year plan. Ratatouille's budget was $220 million. So puts that in perspective. I got to imagine the ride system is at least a quarter of that. Uh, anyway. 
one other thing in here was the final scene where you had Beast in his human form dancing with Belle, and we discussed that uh, privately, kind of how we thought that would work. And mm-hmm. it's a very impressive scene, but probably a very simple simple for somebody that's not an engineer uh, way that they did it. I'm guessing all of the mechanics of the movement are in Bell because you can hide all of that with yep. the uh, with the dress. So it makes it look like the, the beast is dancing, which is pretty cool. So in deference to do, and I say this and it's probably like far more complicated than that, but you don't see walking animatronics all that much. Uh, you see it with Ben Franklin. I believe the bell in the pre-show walks a little bit as well, but this is a way of accomplishing that without actually putting weight on the uh, uh, the feet of the beast figure, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think I mentioned to you, the only thing I think that would have been really cool if they could have pulled this off, which is probably impossible, uh, but the, they're dancing on top of a kind of a pedestal, a platform. Yeah. Uh, and with that scene being they simulate you uh, the, the the teacups that you're riding and dancing along with them uh if that could have moved along uh a, a lot like on Pooh's honey hunt where the hemp lump uh cart comes into play in in the hemp lump scene and they're interacting and moving around with you would have been really cool if that could have moved and actually had bell and and beast dancing around the ballroom is, instead of uh staying in that one spot and you, you're doing all the movement around them uh it doesn't take away from how cool that scene is though they did a great job with that with that room and the aas around the side uh and that dancing effect is is very very impressive so you hit on one of the biggest highlights in any of the trackless systems and that heffalump and woozle scene in honey hunt is is amazing. It's one of the coolest ride scenes I've uh, experienced uh, anywhere. I don't know if you guys know. I went to Japan a few years ago. Anyway, <laughs> tell us um, about it. <laughs> the 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 layout of the scene in Beauty and the Beast makes it so that like you can't totally mimic that. The the heffalumps and woozle scene lends itself to this experience. It's, it's basically a perfect scene for this type of ride system. Um, but to your point of like encountering the beast and bell dancing, uh, being brought over to the other animatronic figures, all of that does that in a different way. Um, just the, there's a little more whimsy in the, uh, in the half and woozle scene. That's all. That's all. But no, it's, it's a very solid attraction. I am looking forward to riding it at some point. Uh, hopefully it comes stateside, but hopefully I can ride it before then. Cause if it was announced tomorrow that it was coming stateside, we'd be three years away from getting on it. So, did Good we talk. lose? Jo- did we lose Josh? <laughs> Possibly. No, I'm here. <laughs> so, I was coughing, so I, I muted my microphone. I was trying not to be rude. It's very rude. Very I rude. thought he was landing a plane in LAX or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not playing Flight Simulator. I swear. Uh, if we hover over your name, it indicates you're playing Flight Simulator. So well, it indicates that Flight Simulator is running on my computer. And we're going to keep all of this great content into it. Somebody just, uh, did you just uh, mute yourself again? No, am I still here? Yeah, you're here. You're here. Hi. We're, we're, hearing, we're hearing Badoop noises, noises like you're checking in at Southwest. It's not me. This is all killer fodder for the podcast, and it's all staying in because I don't want to edit any of it. Uh, I do want to, in a few years, I think it'd be fun to revisit this conversation uh, when we see how popular Ratatouille is at Epcot, especially knowing that they had the maybe behind the scenes debates on which attraction to put in. Uh, The thing that scares me about Ratatouille is it's been over in Paris for how many years now and nobody, nobody raved about it when it first opened and nobody's like, I got to get to Paris to ride Ratatouille. It just seemed like a filler attraction and a filler space. And they needed to add capacity to the parks because of the, the 50th coming in and the added crowds that were coming. Um, 
But I how think, many rides are there in Paris within a you know five hundred yard walk of, of the one that they added? Because that's the thing at Epcot is like kids get over there and there's no rides. I mean that's the thing that the part one of the huge thing the park suffered from from day one. So I think to have a second actual ride you can get on and move around inside World Showcase is actually going to be a huge hit. Oh no, no matter what, what it is. Yeah, I just sit sitting back and looking at these two videos side by side, and I I think I prefer the Beauty and the Beast way more than I, what I've seen from the Ratatouille ride. Uh, if they actually had that debate and they decided on which one to put in there, and they they went with Ratatouille over over Beauty and the Beast, uh, I, I just want to see what that conversation's like that we can have a few years from now. If you know, I think Ratatouille is going to be a hit right off the bat, but five, six years from now, what's what's going what's gonna to be the appeal of it if it's not that great of an attraction? I think it's a better thematic fit. That's for me, yeah, the vote. But to your to your point, I, it, it looks like, uh, I was going to say Mermaid, it looks like Beauty and the Beast is the better ride. Yeah, and see, the thing that I kind of counter on that, though, is they're, you know, they built a whole new section behind the France Pavilion to mm-hmm. add this attraction. And if you've been to pa- uh, Paris, if you've been to, you know, London, any of these major uh, European cities, there is so much new architecture. And then right around the corner, you you run into old architecture, you run into countrysides just out of nowhere when you're in the middle of a city. Like, the the I think there is a way that if you're just worried about the thematics of it, um, if you were building it, front and center of the France Pavilion as it is right now. Yeah, I, I don't think you could get away with it. But but by building that extra street that you have to then go back behind, uh, you know, the the Circle Vision Theater and everything back there. Uh, I think it's Circle Vision. Is it Circle Vision? I don't know. The, the, I haven't been to Impressions Impressive in France. France Circle Vision. It's about <laughs> no. 180 degrees. Yeah. Uh, but you, you've got to go, you know, kind of out of your way to ride Ratatouille. At that point, I think you could maybe – do something. Uh, I think you have the space back there that you could have uh, had a transition into another French countryside that led into like the Beast Castle. But uh, my mental block is on fairy tales, yeah. like those classic European fairy tales in World Showcase. It's it's one of my biggest objections to Frozen being in there. Um, that ben is di- dying to kill Epcot, Tim. I know. You know, I know. We, we, He's we been on this mission for your willingness someone- to sabotage it. Yeah. I, I think for me personally, Big Hero Six going to Japan. That, that if I'm if I'm given a choice of Frozen in Epcot, uh, Three Caballeros in Mexico, or Ratatouille in France, I think Ratatouille is the best fit. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's that it's the best fit, uh, you know, for Epcot in, in general. Like it's it's a slam dunk. But the what I like to do when trying to determine fit in Epcot, and I think the same thing kind of applies in the Animal Kingdom as well, is if the movie didn't exist and they just pitched like, all right, we've got a French kitchen and we've got a mischievous rat that's cooking in the French kitchen helping out the chef. And that's the that's the back, background for the ride. We're like, all right, that's silly. It's a little bit, you know, goofy, but we probably buy it in original Epcot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my takeaway, whereas I don't think I can come up with a similar pitch for Frozen. But I do think like the narrative of Anna and Elsa visiting Frozen or visiting Norway in the summer defends their meet and greet being there. That so, is about as thinly okay. veiled of a connection as you. As it, they, it is. As they it absolutely made. is. It absolutely and the overwhelming is, majority like, of guests who go there have no idea that that backstory even exists. Right. But we care about stupid shit like that. We do. And- <laughs> but I mean, to your point about Ratatouille, though, there's nothing more silly about a rat running around a kitchen than there is about any of the original scenes that were in World of Motion. You know, like the guy yeah. with the hot foot. You know, it's like, you know, whimsy's always been 
you know, appreciated when Disney mm-hmm. does things, I think. There's, there doesn't have to be, there's a lot of runway in between the connection they have over there uh, in Norway and, and what that, and what Ratatouille <laughs> would be. Right? Let's not pretend Maelstrom was a flawless attraction either. I think yeah, no, you guys probably heard it. You, you probably heard Jim Hill's like uh, explanation of the hatchet job that was done in the original yeah. version of it. Yeah. And like, well, we want trolls and also an oil rig for some reason. You know, yeah. <laughs> like if you think about it, just going through scene by scene of Maelstrom, it didn't make a whole lot of sense either. So, no. Well, so- when it, once it dropped you into the oil rig basement, it, all bets were <laughs> off. That was that was pretty weak. And then fireworks. <laughs> and I. I guess I, I and I have no problem with Ratatouille going into France and and not Beauty and the Beast. I think my thought is I I want the best attraction possible going into yep. that spot. And the thing that I worry about is we're getting a clone of a ride that is not necessarily super popular. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't look like they're going to take any time or any invest any money to plus this attraction to give us a better version of what is already over in France. Uh that's that's my worry is that we're not getting this is the chance that they have to what could how could we make this ride better and they're mm-hmm. not doing that we're getting hey let's just put this in because we already have the plans for it yeah I agree with that I think that when you see them cloning things and Tron is a good example of this as well your uh, many of the takeaways from Tron Light Cycle Power Run in Shanghai was that it wasn't long enough and mm-hmm. you had a clean slate to work with you could have added. 20 to 30 seconds more of time of time. And it didn't even have to be, you know, coaster time. It could have been an additional scene that, uh, th- that took up that time. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and similarly with Ratatouille, I don't necessarily know what the answer would be to change it, uh, whether it be adding animatronics, uh, uh, strategically or adding additional scenes or some other components that perhaps better utilize the, uh, uh, trackless system. I don't know, but I, I like the idea of expanding on something that you can kind of learn from the initial mistakes. So th- there's there's right down the street at Universal. I think there's a great example of this, and and they could have they could have done a few things to Ratatouille. I think that's the main thing is that we heard over there was like it, it is all uh, screens. You know, you have the one scene where you're in the freezer where you've got some physical sets, but outside of that, you're you're in a screen based attraction. Look yeah. at what Universal did down the street with uh, two attractions. You've got Fast and the Furious and uh, Kong Skull Island. And both of them reports from parts of the tram tour over in Los Angeles uh, that they brought over as quick and easy attractions. And one, they did super quick and easy. The other one, they actually put time and effort to taking that one section of the tram tour and plussing it and making it a full experience. Skull Island still has a And Ben's long- talking about Fast and Furious, by the way. Yeah, but they spent well, a lot uh, more time in Fast and Furious. <laughs> but that that's that's the deal. With with Kong Skull Island, you know, the the the, the Reign of Kong, uh, they added two scenes to it and then they added the huge audio animatronic Kong at the end and didn't mm-hmm. just give you the small section from the tram tour as a full attraction by itself. They knew that wouldn't work. They did the same thing though with, with fast and the furious. They took that end section and said, this is a full experience and that thing's already closed after, you know what? Less than two years of opening. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it put in quote unquote seasonal mode, but you don't, you don't want an attraction that's been open for two years that you invested that much money into uh, as a 
you know, seasonal operation attraction right off the bat. I think they could do the same thing here. Give us, give us one or two audio animatronics of Remy. Give us yeah. a couple things. Give us a kiss at the end. That is not just another video screen where it ends. Give us a physical set with some audio animatronics, uh, with, with Remy and all his rat family as that final scene instead of the video that we're going to get. That's enough to take this attraction to that next level that would, would satisfy people more than the one that is already over in France that isn't necessarily satisfying satisfying people at that level. One of the things I've said about Epcot in recent years is that even with these additions that they announced, I don't think the attraction lineup is going to be as strong as the other three parks. I think that while we may love things like Spaceship Earth and Living with the Land, uh, your your masses don't. Um, or they, they're not necessarily they don't love them, but they don't have the same appeal as those of us that have nostalgia for them. And the new things that they've added have, have fallen a little flat, and it puts a ton of pressure on Guardians of the Galaxy when that opens up as well. So, so to your point that enhancing what was kind of like a lower level e-ticket in Paris and putting it in, uh, into the France Pavilion, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously not going to complain if that's what they did in lieu of just a direct clone. I certainly would improve, it would, would be for enhancements over and above it. But shall we move away from this discussion and on to Muppets? Indeed. No? Yes? Good. Okay. So, <laughs> the Muppet conversation stemmed originally from a question that we received from John F., uh, last name redacted, and <laughs> some follow-up conversation that's appeared on social media in the last week or so, implying that Kermit has been working with Bob Weiss of Imagineering, Joe Rody of Imagineering, uh, Mindy Kaling of various uh, roles, most notably The Office, the office. and uh, Danny Trejo from from various police lineups you may have seen. So it, it was kind of probably nothing more than just creating internet buzz for something, but uh, it had us thinking for uh, a need to do a Muppet show. And we have an expert in the Muppets here, somebody that worked for Muppet Vision or worked in Muppet Vision 3D. We have Ben with the manual for Muppet Vision 3D. But before we get into that, I want to read off the question that we received from John F. Uh, possible topic. Hey, guys, love the show. Keep up the great work. That's how you get this read. Uh, I would like to suggest a possible topic since you are armchair Imagineers. I believe that Disney has not taken <laughs> full advantage. People say that like it's a real thing. Yes, exactly. I believe that Disney has not taken full advantage of the Muppet IP since acquiring them. I believe there is enough material to draw from the Muppets to warrant their own land. What if Bob Iger, interesting spelling, came to you and said, we want you to design a Muppet land. What would you include in this land and where would you put it? So perhaps I shouldn't have read this first, but <laughs> for me personally, just in terms of where to put the land, I came up with some ideas, but let's actually discuss that part after we go into the... Uh, uh, the Muppet Manual, because that may also be a springboard for Muppet ideas as well. So, Ben, you have the manual in front of you. Some of the things we discussed ahead of time would be, like, procedures. And uh, you mentioned that they have actually specific character studies for all of the Muppets. Uh, so some interesting content in there. I don't know where you want to kick us off, but pick your poison. Yeah, yeah so what do you want to know? Everything you can tell us. Oh, oh. <laughs> you have you have a minute and a half. <laughs> yeah. I call this a salute to all attractions, but mostly Muppet Vision 3D. Yes. Nice. Yes. Um, yeah, no, just uh, – actually, I found this. I have not looked at this manual in – since 1999. Uh, I found this while digging up my uh, old Jungle Cruise uh, spiel. So 
I was very happy to come across this. Uh, I came across all my traditions uh, paperwork. Came across a couple phone numbers I might have got from girls at traditions. So don't let my wife see those. I might try those numbers out later on to see we'll if they still work. We'll put those in the show notes. You're yeah. going to want to look them up first. <laughs> <laughs> Things can go really wrong in 20 years. Oh, I love yep. the college look program. Look at me. I haven't been in my human form in like seven years. <laughs> I, and I wish I was joking about that last comment, but it's uh, it was real. Uh, nice. Hey, what can I say? So uh, this is a very, very thick uh, sure. guide. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Kelly with an I, 408. <laughs> Save that for when I get to the backdooring policy, Josh. Uh, <laughs> so I thought we'd start with the, just the cover letter I, I found was kind of fun and interesting. Just uh, you, you have to remember that for people who get jobs in the parks, not all of them are super fans by any means. Uh, the vast majority of them are just trying to make a living. Uh, they, a lot of them don't like theme parks. A lot of them don't like uh, the characters or, or, you know, the, 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 the IP that the attractions based on that they're working on. Uh, so that you have to keep that in mind when they're giving these guidebooks out uh, to those cast members. Sometimes, they really have to break down these things to their, you know, lowest common denominator to, to kind of get the point across of, of what what the people are working at. Because Disney definitely does want you to be a part of the show. They want you to be a part of the experience. If you're, uh, you know, for me, it was you're you're not working Muppet Vision 3D. You're working at Muppet Labs. You're working for Kermit. There's an experiment going on here. That's why you're uh, a cast member. Yeah. So but not everybody's like that. Not everybody's wired that way. So. You know, I thought we'd start with the opening page here that kind of just starts off with a welcome to Jim Henson's Muppet Vision 3D. Your role as a host hostess at Jim Henson's Muppet Vision 3D is to assist our guests and our fellow entertainment cast members in this unique film presentation. This study guide is designed to assist you in becoming more familiar with the Muppet characters in the Jim Henson Muppet Vision 3D attraction. A study guide is intended to be used as a supplement to and not in place of the standard operating procedures manual. A copy of the SOP is available at the attraction, uh, training office, and the cast member service buildings for your reference. So from there, it gets into literally five pages of <clears throat> character descriptions and breakdowns. Can you rustle the pages Josh likes when you do that? Oh, hold on. Hold on. I really do. Yeah. Do it <laughs> <Perfect>. slower. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> Title of the show, ASMR with Ben. <laughs> so it goes into a study guide for the characters, uh, the, the main characters of the show. So kinky uh, for kinkos. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody you care would, uh, you guys would like to uh, hear this description for? Uh, how about how about we start with Waldo, who is probably the most divisive character. In that. Shockingly, Waldo is not one of these characters. Because <laughs> no the one can find him. <laughs> Waldo, nobody gives a shit. How about Statler and Waldorf? That could be interesting. You son of a bitch. I told you the six that were in here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just thinking characters that aren't in there? Okay, yes. how about Fozzie? You got Fozzie in there? Fozzie Bear is in here. Okay. <laughs> this is Killer Pod. Yeah. Get in there nice and deep. Like. All right, so here's the breakdown on Fozzie Bear. His traits, he's lovable, humble, good-natured, clumsy, persistent, insecure, vulnerable, and strives to be funny. That's Fozzie me. Bear, that's Josh. <laughs> uh, Fozzie Bear is the lovable stand-up comic bear who will tell a joke no matter how obvious, old, or dumb in hopes of being a big hit in the exciting world of show business. From the bright tie, the old hat, and the waka-waka that punctuate his punchlines to the hook that comes to pull him off stage, Fozzie is an anything-for-a-laugh comic in the great Pavilion tradition. Despite his good intentions, Fozzie's act 
almost always backfires on him. Yet even <laughs> when a joke meets with stone silence, a barrage of thrown tomatoes, or jeers from St- Statler and Waldorf, Fozzie Bear never gives up. The persistence only makes him that much more lovable. Fozzie is also Kermit's best friend in Sega Banana. The frog is always trying to reassure this very insecure bear that everything is going to be all right. In turn, Fozzie does his best to help Kermit, although things inevitably seem to backfire. I'm it really is pretty... heartwarming. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, it's it's. What better thing than if you're terrible at something, but you're good at being terrible at it, that that also is good. <laughs> yep. It's good news for everyone I've ever met at the DMV. <laughs> So we don't so, need to go into all of the character studies, but you said they did them from Ker- for Kermit, Bean, Buddy, I, Bean Bunny, I assume, Miss Piggy. Who were the other two that they did? Uh, Sweetums, Fozzie, okay. and uh, Gonzo. Don- maybe? Gon- Gonzo. Gonzo doesn't really have a big role in the in the like movie itself. He's got a role in the pre-show. Uh, he's got a pretty decent role. He talks Bean Bunny into leaving the show. That's true, I guess. Yeah. So uh, what about Sweetums? What do they do- what do they say for him? Because he's got a unique role in the show. Yep, Sweetums is pretty short here, so we can get that. His traits, uh, Sweetums stands about seven feet tall, has huge feet, and one of the most fearsome faces you would ever want to see. But as his name implies, he is also one of the most gentle and sweet-tempered giants imaginable. Sweetums loves to dance and sing, but also can be very shy. He must be pressed to speak even a few words, and when he does talk, those words, of course, are always sweet and so very kind to everyone. Okay. okay. That's Sweetums. You gotta love Jim Henson, you know? For people that don't regularly go on, uh, go to this show, uh, it's kind of a grassy family staple, but not everybody goes to it. What is the uh, role that Sweetums has in the show itself? And I remember you saying at some point in the past that you like that the Sweetums costume is protected. What can you tell us about that? Uh, so going back to the opening page of this, where it actually talks about, let me find it. Yeah. He can also clone himself, as you find out later. Yes, yes, he can. Uh, The opening guide, uh, the opening page of the guide says, your role as a host or hostess at Jim Henson Muppet Vision 3D is to assist our guests and our fellow entertainment cast members in this unique film presentation. So that right there tells you the three uh, groups of people that are in this attraction. You have your guests, you have your cast members who run the attraction, and then you have the entertainment cast members, which are separate from regular cast members uh, that are that are the Sweetums. Uh, so they are <clears throat> they are of a different level. They are the actual. You know, you've got to go through the audition process. You've got to go through the character process, and they are different from your regular standard cast members who uh, run the day to day operations of the attraction. So they have their own break room they have their own dressing room they have their own bathroom we don't even have the the regular cast members don't have a bathroom in there we have to go over to P, uh pizza rizzo now uh and, and use that the entire place is kind of a bathroom do they yeah. always <laughs> act like they were better than you they certainly did they yeah. absolutely 100 percent did so are they is that an equity performer it is an equity performer yes interesting because so, like i'm looking at the uh, muppet vision uh, attraction page and it has been running and i know that equity performers uh, were recently allowed back i wonder what they did there and you i'm guessing you probably don't know during the post covid opening when they didn't have an arrangement with the equity performers maybe they didn't have sweetums on stage is there like a an, well, an alternate <laughs> show uh, sometimes the sweetums don't hit their cues 
Okay. Uh, I've, I've been in there several times where Sweetums didn't come out because Sweetums was taking a nap or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear Sweetums to God. hit the bottle. <laughs> and so, uh, strangely enough, the show moves along just fine. Uh, even to the point where, like, the first time Sweetums comes out and he has the spotlight looking around, there yep. are, uh, there are actual, you know, fake spotlights moving all around that theater. You, you know, it's obviously not yeah, his yeah, yeah. flashlight that's projecting on there. So if Sweetums isn't in there, you still have that effect moving around as if somebody's searching for Bean Bunny. Uh, and and you can get away with it just fine. I'm guessing so, people don't notice unless they're looking for it. They know the yep. attraction. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, there, there'd be times where I was working the theater position and Sweetums didn't come out and, and you knew... Either one, yeah, something was wrong uh, with with the person performing that role, or uh, they just completely missed Sweetums their cue and never been came murdered. Out. <laughs> yeah, well, the fun part is, is there's always two Sweetums on at all times. Uh, that seems it, unnecessary. It's yeah. very unnecessary, especially considering. I mean, so you're telling me that with between two of them, they couldn't get out there on time. Yep. Yep. Uh, sometimes <laughs> they're fighting and arguing with each other because uh, <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> they. Uh, uh, you know, they don't agree on their rotations. Uh, sometimes they, what they can do, they're supposed to go every other show, mm-hmm. but obviously if there's two of you back there and especially during that, and I highly doubt that they use a computer system for the Sweetums now, uh, they're probably still just on their own rotational system back there, but obviously <laughs> flip a once, coin. It's not that hard jackasses, right? <laughs> well, what you would do is you would stack shows. And so instead of going every other 15 minutes, you got to be out there. Somebody do two shows in a row and you're mm-hmm. you, instead of a 15 minute break, you have 30 minute breaks. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. And but if there's nothing to keep people uh, accountable for the rotations and they're stacking shows like that, they can get lost in the shuffle on who's supposed to be out there next. And that's what would cause sometimes <laughs> the, the, the missed rotations. So Sweetums is I full of the wrong career. <laughs> yep. There was a something I read a while ago that the. Uh, Tinkerbell character that they throw off the castle and like shoot down with fireworks uh, gets paid for a full eight hour shift. Yep. So aside from you know possibly having a fear of heights, that seems to be like the cushiest uh, cushiest entertainment job. Um, but the Sweetums one doesn't seem that challenging either, other than you're wearing a uh, a heavy heavy costume probably. Not that I was ever supposed to have that costume on, but it's <laughs> <laughs> the Not Tinkerbell or the Sweetums. Ben, uh, in your interview of this uh, hypothetical Sweetums uh, <laughs> entertainment cast member, how heavy was the costume? Uh, not that bad. Okay. Not that bad. Uh, so I don't. I, none of us had a whole lot of sympathy for the Sweetums. They they <laughs> they had a pretty cushy job. Uh, especially not that we had the hardest job in the world, but you know when we were on, we had to work. And there there were, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes uh, that that the cast members have to take care of. Per, uh, you know, with each show rotation that you're kind of constantly doing something at all times. There's not a whole lot of downtime. So uh, when the Sweetums would complain about having to go out there for an extra show or something like that, we we didn't really care. <laughs> you didn't give them any sympathy? No. no. <laughs> so I got Makes a wild sense. hypothetical here. Oh, and-, and, and they got paid like three times what we got paid. So that's that's even the, the, the better part of it. What's your uh, hypothetical, Josh? So if let's imagine that you had to change careers t- today. And I'll ask the same question to both of you. So you got to go work at Disney as a frontline cast member and you had the option. You want to work eight hours a day or, and for those of you who don't know, Tim, for those of you who do know, Tim, you should picture him. It'll be funnier. They <laughs> offer you to be Tinkerbell. So Ooh, you're going to get good. that eight hours of pay and they're going to strap you just to that harness and send you down the wire to land on Tomorrowland Terrace or whatever that cable ends. Would you do that? You land in a mattress. 
But well, if that cable doesn't snap, <laughs> considering what's the, what's the uh, tensile ratio of the uh, of the cable, can it support me? I don't know. You don't. No one knows. We've got the only <laughs> one way to find out. Hmm. Risk my life. It, it held up the eighty pound girl that went last night. I'm slightly more than uh, slightly, <laughs> slightly more than her. I would love to do that. So I would take my chance on it. And I don't. I've I've worn worse things in a Tinkerbell costume. Really? I've never done. I've never been zip lining, but it's something that I'd like to do. It's uh, awesome. Zip lining off of Cinderella's castle once would be pretty damn awesome. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I want to make a career out of it, but um, it dear, like dear, good, I agree, it's a good gig. Getting paid eight hours to do that. Yeah. <laughs> what do we? Uh, what do we move away from Sweetums? Uh, one of the other things that Ben, you mentioned, you had was uh, opening and closing procedures. Uh, protocols when the attraction goes 101 that sort of thing uh why don't you uh, talk about some of the opening procedures for uh, for muppets okay uh you just walk in there and you turn the on button on oh that's easy pretty easy and closing is it just the opposite <laughs> you just hit the off button oh, okay. uh yeah no this has a whole list of your procedures and uh it, Back when I worked there, again, uh, I always like to preface this that things have changed over the years, although I, I do go and visit Muppets every single time because there are a couple people that I worked with uh, that still work there today. Uh, and, and one of them, uh, she was there opening day of the attraction. So she, she has never left. She's never wanted to go anywhere else. So I go visit her uh, every time I go. And, and when I get to go backstage there, I get to see a few things. And really nothing has changed except for, you know, painting the walls. Uh, so and your liquid, uh, yes, well, your Ben's my, mojo is gone. My mo- my mojo is gone. <laughs> <laughs> so tragedy. Uh, back when I was there, uh, we would have three people that would open the attraction uh, every morning, and you would get there two hours, two and a half hours before park open uh, to do this. And, and the the main reason was, and again, this is where the big difference that I'm not 100% sure if it's still this way or not, but uh, two of the people would be responsible for taking the dirty glasses from the day before and taking them over to Epcot behind uh, the Imagination Pavilion where all of the 3D glasses were cleaned. So uh, back behind where Pizza Rizzo is now, there, there, it, that, there's that gate that's between Pizza Rizzo and Star Tours. Mm-hmm. And uh, right behind that gate, there was a white van. And we would open that gate up and somebody would drive the van over to uh, the side of the Muppets building where we would load Did the van boxes. say free kittens on the side? It did not say free kittens on the side. Free candy? Uh, it had lots of candy in there to dish out okay. to the kids as they walked by. Um, and we would load up the glasses, drive them over there to uh, the, the, the cleaning facility, drop those glasses off. And you'd also pick up the glasses uh, from the day before that were cleaned and bring them back over. So uh, believe it or not, those glasses are worn by one person per one guest per day. And that's that. it. They, wow. they take them right out of rotation, uh, and then they're boxed up and sent over and cleaned, and then you know brought back over, and they're worn one time, and they're sent back over and, and done again. So, uh, so two people uh, that, that took a couple hours to load everything up, drive to Epcot, dump all those off, bring them back, and then load the new glasses into the building. So two people would do that, while one other person would go through a whole. They had a list of opening procedures, which are uh, which are right here. If you want to hear some of the uh, the highlights on these opening procedures list, uh, you'd actually have the list that you would check stuff off as you went through it, and then you know when the attraction is set to open at park open, you would present it over to the manager. They'd be able to see that you went through everything. Uh, so it would go through stuff like uh, set the chains in the queue area. 
Uh, ensure that there are no chains on the ground and that they are all in good repair. Contact maintenance base uh, to repair chains in the queue. Uh, ensure all the trash cans in the queue area and the courtyard are clean, empty, and do not have a strong odor. <laughs> I love that one. Uh, report any problems custodial. Uh, check the courtyard for cleanliness and show any uh, and any show quality concerns. Report all problems to custodial. Uh, let's hold on, Josh. Ready? Yes. <laughs> Before you turn it, turn it back. So, show quality problems. You report to custodial on the outside area. So you're this, just talking about this is, not the, physical, not the problems with the actual show, but right, you know, what okay. Disney calls shit show. on the ground. We yeah. will we will get to there. Uh, so. Getting into the glass cleaning, uh, here's a few set th- notes on that. The truck is uh, used to transport glasses. The first cast member scheduled to open signs the attraction's truck out at the attraction's office in the cast services building. The keys are kept in the truck log. Fill out the information on the log sheet. To operate the truck, you must have both a dra- valid driver's license and Walt Disney World ID with you. Uh, take the truck to Muppet Vision. Use caution driving in the courtyard, which, by the way, that's like one of my favorite things I ever got to do was driving a vehicle like on the show area, like driving it around the <laughs> courtyard, driving it near star tours, driving it out that gate for, so, it's so dumb and little, but it's no, one of I those, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where like nobody else gets to do this. And I, I can always say that I, you know, took a circle around the, uh, you know, the, the water fountain in front of Muppets. <laughs> Doing donuts in Muppets courtyard. Uh, yep. In Muppet courtyard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, load the truck with all the boxes, of dirty glasses. The truck will hold 41 boxes plus three in the cab. Remember to load all the broken glasses. Take the glasses book. Uh, did, yeah, were you expected to fill that up every day? It was like Tetris putting these things in there. Or did you just you probably didn't have that many used? Uh, no, during the summer. Yeah. You filled that, you filled <laughs> that truck. Yep. Uh, yeah. During the during slower times of the year, sure, you wouldn't you get half the truck or whatever. But uh, anytime I had to do this, it was full full uh, truckloads. Uh, and like uh-huh. I said, drive the tr- uh, drive the, the truck back to Journey into Imagination uh, attraction at Epcot Center. Park in the loading zone and unload the dirty glasses. Stacking the boxes next to the glasses. Cleaning the machine. loading zone is for loading and unloading. <laughs> do not park in the loading zone. Is this uh, about the so- abortion? No. You remember that joke from airplane, right? Yes. Okay, just so no one's offended. <laughs> yep, just so we're clear. <laughs> somebody, somebody will be offended. Yeah, always are. <laughs> uh, we're all going to so tell our wives to prepare for a crash landing. That's another that's airplane reference. <laughs> cockpit, okay. what is it? That's a little room in front where the pilot sits. <laughs> <laughs> Surely you must be joking. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> we we so, could probably do this for the next 45 minutes. Maybe we should stop. <laughs> Roger. Does anybody speak? No, well, uh, next one. <laughs> uh, not so, touching that <laughs> so that's what I was explaining about the, the truck person and this then we get to the next section back about the person that's back at the attraction so while those cast members are out doing the glasses run we called it the glasses run yeah. uh, one, one uh, cast member stays back and they cycle the attraction and that includes you know cycling the pre-show cycling the show itself during while you're cycling the show you sit in the theater and you watch and make sure everything's functioning you you're you're uh, responsible to looking at all the audio, audio animatronics all the visual effects in the walls and the screens this is when th- this person assesses that the attraction is functioning in a way that we can open it uh, for guests at park open so a few things in this section go into the theater and check to see if the yellow pause light is visible which uh, that's one thing that we did every night was you paused the show we never turned off the show we would pause the show uh, so this is at the there's a panel 
at the front of the pre-show and also underneath Waldorf and Statler where the cast member is on a microphone and they do the uh, instructions and the spieling as guests enter uh, both areas. And at these panels, you can pause the show. You can e-stop the show. Um, and then you can also turn the show back on. So one of the things that you would do at night is you don't turn off the show and shut it down all night. You just put it in a pause mode. So when you got back the next morning or actually not even the next morning because you would pause it and then maintenance would come in at night and they would do stuff overnight, turning it back on and then they, they would pause it as well. So you uh, pause the show and, and all the wall panels and other, all the show components are seen and ready to go. So that means uh, the, the first thing you should see when you go in the attraction in the morning is it should hey, can look. I, interrupt? I got a question. Sorry. Yep. For, forgive me. It's been a long time since I've seen that attraction. Is, is that film based? Like just old celluloid film? Yes. Yeah. They digitized, they digitized they did, they, it within the last 10 years. Yeah. Well, when you say, ran it, when you ran it, it was film. It was film. Yes. So when you say pause it, like what, what happened? I would imagine you'd have to turn the lamp off on the projector. Right? It would just burn through the film if it weren't moving. How do you pause a film projector? You want to know a secret? Yeah. I have no idea. Because oh. <laughs> that's, an that's an area that cast members were n we were never allowed in the projector room. We okay. never we never went up there. That was for maintenance only. We, okay. Nobody ever uh, accessed that area of the attraction. Uh, I wonder if you, like the on off of the projector was part of the automation of the yeah. show itself, and you, what you're pausing is not necessarily the film, but the actual full show. Because there's other components to it beyond just the sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah I was just wondering about the film part in particular. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, it, that's okay. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just curious about that. Well, and, and the other fun part is like there's a there's like a catwalk around the outside of the building that accesses that room because from where we run the attraction, I can't even tell you how to get up there. We were never even told how, how to access that area. So uh, there, there were no secret, you know, stairway in the back or anything that led up to, to get up there. So, uh, yeah, your question is fantastic because I've got no clue uh, <laughs> when it comes to that. <laughs> That's Look what you come go. here for is uh, no answers, right? <laughs> what about uh, 101 procedures? And did you? how many times did you have to shut down the attraction? Or like, were you there? I never, a, uh, you know? I never shut down the attraction. Pa we would pause the attraction often. Uh, that would, And the main reason for a pause would come when guests are loading into the theater and mm -hmm. they don't, uh, it would really only happen when we had full capacity shows and we had to utilize every seat in the theater. And so of course the whole, you know, move down to the very end of er or the row filling in each and every available seat, uh, that you hear for any of yeah, these yeah. kind of shows, uh, this comes into play when people would not listen to those instructions and we would have to go over there and tell them to please stand up and keep moving down. Uh, and it, it happened all the time. It was the biggest pain in the ass in the world. And, and, and I hated it because people felt very entitled. Like I paid all this money to sit here. I should have the best seat. And it's like all these people behind you did the same thing. So get up and move. Uh, and so if that would take longer, you had a set number of time and I don't know if we'll get to it in here, but it was like a, you know, a two and a half minute load time to get everybody from the pre-show into the theater. Uh, before the show would automatically start. Again, we never hit start. It was on a regular cycle unless you paused the show. So those okay. door, those doors would close. The everything, the lights would dim. Everything would happen on its own unless you hit the pause button. And that would be the main culprit is us having to take extra time to uh, get people to fill in the theater the right way so everybody from the pre-show could have a seat in that show. That's that would be the main culprit for the pause. I never had to e-stop a show. 
I had, uh, but during these morning procedures, uh, one day I did the open and things went insane. I, I told the story on Inside the Magic one time where I'm sitting in the front row while the show is cycling and I'm watching it and uh, the pre-show uh, the pre-show doors and the exit doors just start opening and closing nonstop back and forth. <laughs> uh, and then there was some wackiness with Waldorf and Statler. And then we had some issues with uh, uh, the Penguin Orchestra. And at that point, when those doors started opening and closing and slamming and it's, you know, eight in the morning, I'm, I'm in there all by myself in this massive theater and it starts freaking me out. I <laughs> run over to the deal and I hit the e-stop and I called it in and we had about an eight hour shutdown that day. Wow. Uh, there was just all kinds of wackiness happening with the, with the system that was throwing off the entire show. And so that's the only time I had to ever e-stop the thing and, and, and call in somebody and, and actually got the entire thing shut down. I think I was only a part of, geez, over two summers, maybe maybe two or three days where the attraction went 101 and broke down and we had we were shut down for any length of time. So that, that attraction is very reliable. Uh, it, 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 I was just going to say, you know, we bitch a lot. But just after hearing you describe all the things that went wrong, let's just give a round of applause to the Imagineers who make that shit work at all. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. You, you think about all of the things that are working in synchronicity there for that thing to work. And I never, it never occurred to me that you guys were just, you basically are just synchronizing the crowd to a predestined result on that show then, basically. That's exactly it. Uh, that is amazing. I never never occurred to me that that was the case. Yep, we have a show count at the very front that's kept at there. Back then, when when we now the procedure's done a little bit different. So you had uh, the greeter position that stood outside the attraction, and then we had the photo cell position, uh, which is right through the entrance doors, and that's where we used to hand out the glasses. Now you pick up the glasses out of trays in the pre-show, but at that photo cell position, that's where we keep the count of the number of guests coming through. But there's also a master run sheet that um, it it has how many numbers of shows should run that day if it's running at full efficiency with no pauses. Uh, and so it'd be, you know, it's nine o'clock is your first show. And then uh, what? Th- 35 minutes, 40 minutes later, th- there would be a, you, you should have a nine forty show uh, if there's no pause or nothing. But so do you have to synchronize when you unpause it to a particular clock position in order to hit that? No. No, but you do mark when that show starts from that photo cell position. So at the gotcha. end of the day, we can see how many shows you, the, 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 the spreadsheet shows you how many shows you should have ran that day if running at full efficiency. But by the end of the day, you rarely got to that number. So you would be one, two, three shows short on a normal basis for just regular pauses. You know, two minutes here, three minutes here can, can cause you to miss a, a full show. Um, so if you never, if you never hit an e-stop and you never hit pause, then you'd have the exact right number of shows. Correct. You, you could theoretically finish like a few minutes earlier, a few minutes late. Yes. Yep. Gotcha. So, uh, and that, and not that you, you were never like rated on that. You were never like, you know, called out at the end of the day. Why didn't y'all only get through so many numbers of shows? But uh, it was just a way for them to keep, you know, this is stuff that I'm sure that if uh, Len Testa had access to it, would be doing cartwheels down the street yeah, because it's, it's interesting it's, stuff from an operation standpoint. Certainly. Very yep. interesting. Yep. You kept track of the show time. You kept track of how many guests were in there per show. And then at the end of the day, you would turn over that sheet to management and they could just assess how well the show, the, the attraction ran uh, and how efficient the attraction ran that day and how, how popular it was uh, based on the crowd levels. That's very, that's very interesting. I have two questions. Then we can get into some of our listener questions. The timing of the pre-show to the main show. 
is there a separate, you know, start stop for the pre-show or is it all interconnected where like the pre-show starts at the same time the main show does or like a minute God, I after? I hope it's connected. They are completely connected. Okay. Uh, that now, would be a nightmare if, if it weren't. Right. Yeah. The thing is, if one pauses, they both pause. Okay. So that's what keeps it in sync. Makes sense. And then what was the... I know you said you didn't experience a lot of downtime, but I'm sure you probably had the dialogue. What is the thing that was going to break the most that would cause the attraction to go 101? I can, uh, and I'll get to this page here in a second. There's, there's two differences on here. There's a list of things that should cause the attraction to go one on one. What I Not always, not always adhered to. Uh, definitely Doors not always adhered to. wildly. Yep. <laughs> a demon in the building. Uh, let me let me cycle back to this page as I talk and look off to the cycle side of the You're going to need those page rustles. Yeah. Give me some of the good stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, the God, thing that, that was we- the best paper. <laughs> this is very thick paper. Is that uh, handwriting? Can you say thick again? Thick. Thick. Uh, this is great radio, by the say way. Say ream. <laughs> uh, the thing that I can remember breaking the most... Uh, we would have some issues with Waldorf and Statler. Mm-hmm. I remember one time, I can't those, remember. Forgive my ignorance. Those are the two guys up in the box, right? Yeah. Yes. The okay. yeah. Uh, I can't remember if it was Waldorf or Statler, but I do remember one of them slowly falling in their seat until they okay. fell to the floor. That uh, almost could be in character, though. Yeah. Was it like, <laughs> yeah. Was it like Lincoln breaking the seat in the, uh, that famous animatronic <laughs> yeah. malfunction? Yeah, so uh, that happened all the time. We were uh, here. Okay, I found the page. Let me read this first, and then I will, uh, I will get to it. So here's a list of animations that should cause the attraction to go one on one. So uh, a little background on this. Again, this is also for that person who's opening the attraction in the morning, mm-hmm. but also throughout the day, there's always a cast member in the theater. Uh, so yep. the cast member who's spieling underneath Waldorf and Statler. Uh, when they're not spieling, uh, and again, this has changed. I think they just have a seat in the back row at this point, but there used to be a bench in the very, very back corner of the theater in the darkest little corner. No, you, you had to really go out of your way to find the person sitting back there, but that's where you would sit and you would sit there and watch the entire show. And then, uh, so you would do your spiel at the first, the show would start, that cast member would walk to that back corner, sit there, watch the entire show, you know, and then have their cue to come back up and spiel at the end of the show uh, as guests exit. And that would just cycle over and over. And that was called the theater position. Uh, I have a fun story about that in a second, if you want to hear that as well, because not all of us stayed awake the entire time uh, <laughs> we were in that position. But that guest... You that, were that, also that, slumping in your sleep. Well, well Call when maintenance. I was, ben fell out of his chair again. Well, so what we would do is we would put on 3D glasses to make it look like we were watching the show. And then if you leaned your head against the wall that had the, the exit doors on it, at the very end of the show when uh, the cannon explodes the theater, those walls shake. So it your wake works, up call. It works yeah. as an wake up call. <laughs> so That's awesome. You, you, you told that on Inside the Magic, didn't you? I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. you would sit there sleeping. Yeah. You would wear your 3D glasses just in case a manager were to walk through. And so they wouldn't just blatantly see your eyes yeah, closed. You can't tell. 
Yeah, but you're you know you'd be like, oh, I was watching the show. Sorry, I didn't see you because it's very dark back there. You and you wouldn't see the the manager walk up there. They'd probably put their hand on your shoulder or whatever to kind of uh, let you know they're there, and then you can fake that you were awake the whole time. So uh, can I tell a quick story that that reminded me of? <laughs> yeah, sure. Back when I, Th- this back will when be I was... a three hour show uh, for people that had their listener questions in. Um, yeah, we'll get to them in hour number six for this episode. <laughs> I promise this is quick. So back when I was flying full time, I was you know in the cockpit of this jet. I won't even identify what type it is but it was a jet airplane with passengers in the back and i had nodded off a little bit and i woke up (laughs) in the cockpit and looked over at the other pilot and they were sound asleep (laughs) so yeah whatever profession you think is one where people don't fall asleep on the job i can assure you that you're wrong and the plane was upside down any of my uh clients that are listening i fall asleep while doing your taxes (laughs) Well, how can you not? <laughs> I got a confirmation from a John Hopkins, not the John Hopkins, although to some people he might be the John Hopkins, that Sweetums was there as of two weeks ago. So it's possible that they're either using non-equity performers uh, or something changed to, uh, to to dictate that. I hope it's a robot. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not a robot, unfortunately. <laughs> so uh, – so I, I think it might be fun to read a few of these uh, reasons for a one-on-one. And sure. let me, for anybody who's listening to the show that doesn't know what a one-on-one is, there, there's all kinds of Disney speak that cast members use. Code 101 uh, is our reference for uh, attraction broken or down. And we use that because they never wanted us to say something was broken in front of a guest. Broken sounds bad. 101, if, they, if a guest hears us saying that, they have no clue what we're talking about. Uh, so just hearing Muppets is 101 is code for the the cast members to know the, the Muppets is down yeah. as opposed to saying Muppets is broken. So 101 is a code used to indicate that a show or show element is, is, is inoperative. Inoperative. The judgment for an attraction 101 will be made by the manager. The following are 101 situations. Uh, fire or other emergency situations, guest illness, loss of lighting, malfunction of an auto- automatic door. <laughs> you watch your mouth. Imagine, imagine a guest on fire and a CM just comes <laughs> over. Hello, ma'am. I noticed that you're 101. <laughs> did, did it not sound like Ben said malfunction? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, maybe it. <laughs> you dropped the N. <laughs> I like this, listening to Ben read. <laughs> the booze is kicking in. All right. Uh, guests jump onto stage or into the pit. No sweetums. <laughs> Loss of projection, loss of special effects, rain or weather shelter, inability to turn off the work lights. Rain uh, or weather shelter. Does that mean like they're saying shelter in place somewhere? What that usually means is uh, there's a bad storm going on and people won't leave the exit area. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's backing into the theater and then gotcha. that causes backups. So. Yeah, that's always fun when you're having to yell at guests that we need you to leave this area and it's just pouring buckets of water outside and and uh yeah. they always love to hear that uh <laughs> i've seen see. it without being uh working so here, here's a few things for you that gets into a bit more specific the following are specific 101s if you see any of these happen you're supposed to call in a 101 and then the manager and and uh the tech side decide if they shut down the attraction or not <clears throat> for animations loss of Waldorf or statler's mouth movement Loss of two or more of Waldorf and Statler's arm, head, or body movements. Two or more. Is that per (laughs) guy or total? I think it's uh, total. I think it's total there. Okay. Loss of any lift figure, i.e. Nicky Napoleon. Quick. What the hell is Nicky Napoleon? What's a lift figure? Gotta be a penguin, right? It's it's the lead conductor of the penguins. who, who He lifts higher than the rest of the orchestra. Okay. Loss of either Bean Bunny... 
loss of three or more movements of either bean of either bean bunny figure, loss of three or more movements of Nicky Napoleon, loss or lift or rotation of the penguin cannon, loss of the Swedish chef's cannon. I agree with that. L- Loss of the Swedish <laughs> chef. Alright, the next four hours will be him and Josh doing bad Swedish chef impressions. And so here's some of the ones that never shut down the thing, even though they never worked when I was there. And if you pay attention, they probably still don't work today. Uh, these are on the special effects side. Yep. Loss of two or more fiber optic firework panels. I was told <laughs> during cute. my tra- I was told during my- the end of the show, by the way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was told during my training, don't even pay attention to that because those firework panels never work. Never call that in. And uh, honestly, we were more surprised when they did work, when they would actually fire <laughs> up during the show, be like, oh, crap. When we'd go to the back, be like, dude, the fireworks are working tonight. <laughs> uh, and, lost- and did they start working just arbitrarily? Like, it's not like you called it in and maintenance came in and they worked for three shows and broke. You're saying uh, they just came alive randomly? Yeah. On those fireworks, they would randomly come up. That's awesome. Um, (laughs) What a special treat. (laughs) Loss of three or more of the explosion boxes in the theater walls. Yeah. Loss of three or more water projection balls on the side of the theater. (laughs) I think I've only seen like one or two of those work on any given show. (laughs) Uh, Loss of any smoke effect. Loss of any projection panel. Uh, yeah, and then lighting, loss of any key lighting on audio, any audio animatronic figure, loss of 20% or more of the show lighting. Yeah. <laughs> Read to me. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Uh, the following situations require the evacuation of the theater. The left and right projections are not in sync. Failure of the stage or opera box curtains to open. Loss of one or both film projections. Loss or distortion of audio. But can we, can, well, I got to pause you here. Yep. They're using the word evacuation in a, in a sense that I wouldn't have expected. Get out! Get out! Yeah, well, I mean, so, <laughs> they spray you with a fire hose. And I, I'm having trouble really understanding this. I consider myself to be marginally good at interpreting writing. But if the, if the attraction goes one and one, one-on-one while you have uh, a group in there, how is that not an evacuation? Do you let them sit there? Is that is that what they're saying? No, is that- so that what they're saying here is if any of these things happen, yeah. these these are reasons to if there's a show going on, you would dump the theater. If any of the other things were going on, you would let that show end, and oh. then you would call that into maintenance. Okay. But if any of these things happen while the show is going on, so one of the projectors projections go out, and then the screen everything's just fuzzy. So you would uh, e stop it and then. Send yes, the, this, these are reasons you would e-stop it, and then you okay. would evacuate the theater, and then they would assess correcting uh, the figures. So, uh, power failure, loss of house lighting, uh, one of the special effects do not turn off, uh, i.e. the the CO2, the water sprinklers, or the bubbles. Uh, hmm. So, those are reasons for dumping a theater. Um, and so, the final part, should one of the above pr- problems occur, complete the following, notify maintenance base of the problem uh, at the extension, Immediately contact the manager, turn the pre-show door control switch to the closed position, press the red show stop button, give the approved evacuation spiel to the guests in the theater, turn the theater door control switch to the open position, notify the pre-show and photo cell host and hostess, 
clean the theater if time allows, and remain inside the theater until bumped. So you're locking the entrance doors closed and locking the exit doors open. Yep. Which would make sense. Okay. Well, that all makes sense. Now, what's involved in restarting the show after that's done? Is it a... It's a pull cord, like a lawnmower. (laughs) Maintenance maintenance comes, they uh, assess what uh, needs to be fixed, and then they either fix it or they put it in a position to where uh, it won't be fixed for the rest of the day. And that could... Say say something with the the Penguin Orchestra. They could assess that the show could still run uh, at a, at a uh, acceptable level that the guests would still be satisfied and they keep it going. Or they could say the the attraction will just be closed completely. And whose uh, call once, is that? That's going to be maintenance in the management's call. Okay, hundred percent there. Uh, and so once that happens, if they if and when they do fix it, you would usually cycle at least once, sometimes twice, a full pre-show and show uh, to make sure it, it stays functioning. Usually maintenance would stay in there and watch that show itself to make sure whatever they fixed uh, was broken and they fixed, you know, it continues to stay fixed. And at that point, you would assess reopening uh, the show and cycling the next uh, group of guests through. So when a ride's e-stopped, let's say you accidentally e-stopped it. Could you then restart it, or does that take maintenance intervention to get the show back up? If you hit an e-stop, the next thing you're going to get is a phone call uh, from maintenance going, what's wrong? There, there usually, usually, uh, there's some something that sets off some chain of reaction that notifies uh, this like central control area that, that there's an issue, and in you call that there's there's phones at both of those panels. Right. Uh, that getting you get get in contact with them, or they get in contact with you immediately. So, so that phone call happens like instantaneously, almost, or very it's, it, shortly. It after. happens, yeah, it happens very quick. That's cool. I, that that to me, it's so crazy. I know that when you go to a magic show, in theory, knowing how the trick is done ruins it. For but for whatever reason, the way my brain is wired, I appreciate the stuff so much more when I know how it works. And the fun part with this is, uh, you know, I. I I worked Muppets uh, the summer of '99, and then went back to Muppets. Much less successful song, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the wheels of Tim's brain turning. Like I'm going to beat him. <laughs> uh, I went back to Muppets in 2002, and uh, when I went back in 2002, because I had been gone so long, I had to go through training again. Uh, and the only difference was the the distribution of the glasses. Like I said, it moved from photo cell to the pre-show area at that time. Um, and so I knew everything else. I knew I knew the spiel. I still know the spiels like the back of my hand for that freaking show. Uh, the, the I knew the position. Uh, the, there's two positions that hold quite a bit of... Uh, can you describe the back of your hand like Gonzo does? <laughs> I can. Two freckles and a scar from when I was seven. No, uh, <laughs> very hairy. Um, the, the, there's the a pre- reason for that, Ben. <laughs> exactly. The, the, You're gonna the, go blind the pre- too. The pre-show position and the exit position have uh, added. Yes, uh, they have added responsibilities. Of they're the ones that gather the glasses, and we there's a in the back. There's an area where we call uh, it's called stacking the glasses. Next time you enter Muppets, and everybody always looks to the right with the you know the the, the gag of the key under the the doormat and the little security booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, look to the left. And you'll see a little hallway, and down that hallway uh, leads to a room where all of the ga- glasses are gathered. 
and you have to stack the glasses in a certain way into rows of 75 and you have to put two rows of 75 into these two uh, these four trays that enter in one box and that all leads into the morning uh, you, you put those in a certain spot and that that's where we gather the clean you know dirty glasses and the clean glasses for the, the glasses run in the morning uh, and so the, the that's all handled by the pre-show person and the exit uh, person that gathers them after each show. Uh, I knew how to do every position. So when I came back in 2002, show off. my my trainer was actually one of the guys that I worked with and goofed off with a ton back in 99. And he gets there and he's like, I thought this was you. And I was like, yep. And he's like, <laughs> God, he's like, you know how to freaking do this. Where's your sheet? And he signs off on it. my first day of training. He just signs me off and goes, get in a rotation. Uh, so that it's it's a... It's a pretty simple attraction to run. We always called it the country club uh, of attractions. <laughs> I, I mentioned that before where there's so many people in the union and stuff. They all want to work at Muppets. Uh, it's not a, 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 you know, the manual labor on this is not bad whatsoever. You're inside all the time except for uh, the, the greeter position that's outside. And even then you can kind of hide underneath the awning and stay out of the sun and, and, and stay in the shade and by the air conditioning as that blows out from the uh, entrance door. Uh you and based on like this manual work and stuff to here, this retraction runs ninety nine percent sure the same way it runs now that it did back back in the day. Uh, so I loved it. I, I and I want to get some of these questions that that were sent in uh, because I think it's. It was a very fun attraction to work. Uh, I, I got so many stories I could probably give you guys at some <laughs> point that we uh, we, don't, we don't kill this show too super long, but we can revisit it later on down the line. And, uh, you know, just hopefully it keeps its spot in the uh, studios for a long time to come because it's a, it's a classic for me. It's the last thing that Jim Henson worked on. Uh, it, it's got history behind it, and I would hate to see anything happen to it. The uh, uh, one last question of you, Ben, from me, and then we can move on to our listener questions. Uh, and this is probably something that only I care about. I know that this show, at least at one point, had reflective captioning, uh, which was like the reversed closed captioning that was that was like a panel in the back. Do yep. you know if all of the glasses were able to use that, or was there special glasses that required uh, that were required for it? It was like where you sit in the theater. Uh, as special glasses is in three D glasses. Like well, was it was it special three D glasses or no. did all three D glasses work? Nope. So you, the the reflective captioning was actually this little stand with a piece of uh, I I don't want to say it was glass. It was a you know a kind of a clear plastic that would be about you know your chin level when you were sitting in a seat, and mm-hmm. there were only certain seats that would see the reflective captioning. So the reflective captioning was a like a, a little LED screen that was on the back wall of the yeah, theater. Yeah. And so you would set the guests in the area that would have access to being able to see that screen, and then you'd put this little piece of plastic that was on a stand in front of them. And uh, that's, okay. that's And when you sat in your seat, the 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 plastic was high enough that it almost looked like subtitles underneath the screen if you if you lined it up the right way because it was clear so the words would come up on the the screen uh, and, and only those people could see it if they had this little contraption in front of them and that, that would allow them to have the closed captioning. I feel that I've had it reflect in my glasses before in certain seats, so like it almost looks like an augmented reality type thing. But that's interesting For- that there's another device. Yep, yep. For, the, like a panel. for those yeah. people. And you had to have that to be able to actually utilize the, the, the captioning uh, the sure. way it was intended. Um, 
So I think we can move over to listener questions. We're going to start on the Tweety. Uh, this one comes to us from Tyler Dancy. Uh, how cool will the new Muppets retheme wing at the Poly be? Scale of Beaker to Kermit. Uh, since Ben likes fucking things up, Ben, you want to take this one? Ha. How do I take this one? <laughs> the scale of Beaker to Kermit, it'll be Waldo. That'll be that bad. <laughs> it'll, yes. Uh, 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 well, we, yeah. We hated two characters. We hated Bean Bunny. We hated Waldo in the back. So yeah. uh, I, I actually hate Bean Bunny more than I hate Waldo. So I'll, I'll give it a Waldo. I mean, I'm probably I'd be, I'd be with you Bunny. there, actually. Th- think Bean was whiny. He is very whiny. <laughs> so and if he, I, if he would have just done his job, none of the height, none of the problems that happened during that show would go on. If he would just shut up, do your work, don't leave the show, don't don't try to hijack everything, we'd have a normal show. And you would have you would have got Sam Eagles uh, big finale, but. You it's hear that, kids? Conform. That's conform. what you need. <laughs> Probably not what, the right takeaway. What was the scale again? Uh, from Beaker to Kermit. From Beaker to Kermer, Kermit. Kermer. 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 Uh, from Beaker to Kermit, it is... Can you, can you is, talk about uh, Kermit for the rest of the show, please? It's both Sweetums with their heads off fighting with each other in the hallway instead of being on stage. <laughs> I'd watch that show. <laughs> and I will go walk through the poly when they finish fucking it up. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'm not super concerned about the poly, but we'll see. Again, we're, we're reserving judgment on that. I mean, I, I think Tim and I are in the same boat. Well, I don't want to speak for him, but I'll, I, I'm How also not, I'm not super worried, but I'm banking on their laziness and lack of budget here. Um, <clears throat> I don't think they, so they did release some concept art for the monorail station and the main entrance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, <laughs> They're basically retheming a Polynesian resort into a Polynesian resort. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and I don't, I'm not going to be the, I am not going on record saying, so it's unfuck upable. I'm not laying down that gauntlet for them because Challenge I believe in their accepted. ability to do it. <laughs> I just think that it's not going to be a huge change. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, why don't we move away from that one? We got Ben Young. Why does Disney seem to do a half-ass job at pushing the Muppets in the parks? The Muppet movie ride would have been awesome from the sounds of it. And that actually goes to the uh, the listener question that we I read earlier, and I'll reread because we're now an hour and a half removed from it. There were concepts of uh, Muppet ideas in the parks, and there's concept art out there. Just Google Great Muppet Movie Ride uh, that did seem very intriguing. Uh, and I think from a disappointment standpoint, uh, the uh, the – uh, Gonzo's Pandemonium Pizza Parlor, I think, is what we were all hoping for with Rizzo's Rat Pizza, um, and they didn't get it. You kind of got a stripped-down version of that with no effects, no kind of chaos is what we wanted in the in the uh, environment in there. Side side note: I like Pizza Rizzo. <laughs> do you eat any food there, or do you bring your own? Uh, we actually kind of like the pizza. That's not pizza. I've told you that story before, though, too. Where we, is this we, in lieu of like the sandwiches in the parking lot? This was the uh, Pizza Planet every night back when I was working there. Uh, at the e- end of the night, instead of throwing away the leftover pizzas that weren't sold, they would bring over trays of it to Muppets, and we would eat them in the break room. All the all the poor college kids that you know were getting paid nickels and dimes. Uh, so on a nightly basis, whenever I was closing, I would eat two or three Pizza Planet pizzas a night. And that recipe really hasn't changed over the years. So I have a bit of a fondness for it. So, uh, yeah, I go, I go get me one of those every, uh, every trip. 
There is some uh, literature out there about the Muppet movie ride, and it effectively would have been a sister attraction to the great movie ride, except the Muppets were, like, effing up at different scenes. Uh, I think you would have, like, Gonzo on lighting or something, and he was kind of... Uh, chaos was ensuing. I don't know what ride system it would have been. I don't know that it would have been the, like, full-on theater car. It was probably something a little bit more managed, but um, yeah. it was it was playing off of that. And I don't see them doing it anytime soon, but... To the evolution of the uh, studios, and actually, this goes into Nick Stout's. I, I question. think you're both wrong about the reason that that didn't happen. Okay, it's obviously it's the Fraggle lobbyists. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the doozers. <laughs> you know, they were the always working hard building their awesome little like crystal structures. These guys, after a while, they're just pissed. Yeah, you know, the, the Muppets are over there screwing up everything and having huge success. <laughs> Meanwhile. You know, these guys are working 12 hours a day, building stuff perfectly with, like, German precision, and everyone's just stomping on their creation. So, obviously, they're out for revenge. Okay. Well, that and also during that time when this was being developed, there was a bit of a falling out between Disney and the Henson Company, uh, yeah. even to the point that Muppets, Muppet Vision almost didn't end up going into the park. Uh, so let How alone, dare you inject fact-based information <laughs> into, my, into my nonsense diatribe? <laughs> Uh, let alone uh, another attraction based on the IP going in. But kind of touching on what he asked there, you know, why Disney isn't pushing them, uh, you know, it, correct me if I'm wrong on what he was asking there, uh, Tim. But, it, you know, part of it, they have tried to revamp and restart and, and re-push the Muppets out there. But, you know, part of it is their efforts in building uh, good content around the characters, but also it's got to be part of the reception of those characters by yeah. the public. So if they make uh, a movie and nobody goes to see the movie, then they're going to be hesitant to build a new attraction based sure. on those characters in, in there. And so, you know, I think we've had some start and stops. We saw some, you know, the ABC Muppets show uh, didn't didn't do very well because it wasn't the Muppets that we were all used to. We weren't used to a grumpy, you know, bummed out uh, sky is great Kermit. They, re they really are. They're, they don't have like they don't have a logical marketing ploy because no. they they are kid friendly, but in theory more edgy than than like your traditional kid content. But then that was true in the seventies, but it's not true today. So do they evolve or do they stay true to their roots? They're, they're a difficult uh, entity to market. I remember um, Jason Siegel talking about yeah. it and that he, he basically said that the Muppets were his introduction to comedy. But in order for that to work, like the Muppet movie that he made was among the best recent attempts at making the Muppets work. And it did, it, but it only made $80 million. Correct. Those types of movies don't get made anymore. Those are Netflix releases. Like that's the budget of your average rom-com and those don't go to theaters anymore. They're streaming movies. Do you, do you have the numbers on Muppets Most Wanted? Uh, I don't know what it hit, but uh, I don't think it was as successful. Right. And so that, I mean, that a Bill and Ted sequel got made, so let's not you know slam the door on the potential for any Muppet movie to be created. I'm guessing Ted's sequel made uh, uh, more than any Muppets movie. Let's take a Ted, look. You're talking Ted 2? No, Bill and Ted. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking the... Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't no. say I thought you were talking Ted 2. <laughs> no, that was actually a good movie. Yeah, they had Tom no, Brady. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure has a sequel. Again, well, that's all just everybody playing off nostalgia, and the Muppets... That's the the vibe that you'd be playing off of, but they haven't really gone away. They've been lingering, right? 
And the Bill and Ted sequel is an awful comparison because it was released in the middle of a pandemic. But uh, <laughs> but say, so like those movies. Yeah, and that's I think, the I, problem with it. <laughs> we in this house, we, we like Muppets Most Wanted uh, a lot. Uh, it, it gets played often. My girls love it. Uh, but like you said, 80 million for the first one. Less than that for the second one. 51 uh, domestic for that one. That's not going to get you a hundred plus million dollar attraction anymore. Yeah. 51 so, for Muppets Most Wanted, 88 domestic for the Muppets, the 2011 Jason. So, I just did a little research and found out that Bill and Ted Face the Music tops multiple video on demand charts. So. Yep. yep. It's also did <laughs> very well in Rotten Tomatoes as well. Wow. Uh, so I think part of it is Disney, you know, not knowing, having a great plan for the, the, the IP, but also it's part of it is on those Muppet fans out there not being receptive of the stuff that they do put out. And that makes them very hesitant to put anything new, especially in a park where the investment is going to be so high, uh, to do anything with them. So they're, to me, Disney's kind of not in, in a lose-lose situation with the characters. They, they, they don't know what to do with it and they don't know how to maximize profits off of them. So, uh, first off, show title, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Podcast. <laughs> Second off, the the problem I think the Muppets face is that the media that we are used to consuming them under, be it a television show or a movie, no longer fits them. I think they are best digested in shorter YouTube clips or perhaps theme park experiences like we've seen. Um and that might be a situation we've argued that you take a movie and try to translate it into an attraction. It doesn't necessarily work. In the case of the Muppets, the opposite may be true, that they as a entertainment vehicle may be better suited for an attraction or just a shorter uh, digestible uh, piece of content like the great Mo- uh, moments in American history, which is like a 10 minute show. Yeah. As opposed to an 80 to 90 minute movie or a 22 minute television show. I definitely agree with that. That try, that it might be a matter of presentation. And it doesn't mean that the Muppets themselves are lousy, but trying to find a way that works. And I think they've realized this, but they haven't found a, a full treatment that works where the Muppets shows that they've done recently have kind of been in like the SNL vibe where they're doing a sketch comedy. Uh, show with the Muppets. So they're trying to make five minute segments into a 22 minute show. And I think from a theme park standpoint, uh, that is a little bit more presentable. I still don't see them doing a ride anytime soon, but there are things that I would like to see. I, I liked the great moments in American history concept. There was the Jim Hill rumor of them going along Grand Avenue, uh, uh, heckling people going into see star, uh, uh, star Wars land. And I would love to see that come back. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to expand Muppet Courtyard, you keep Muppet Vision, you uh, you update the pizza parlor, and you have periodic shows of them appearing in the balconies of those uh, along mm-hmm. that street, and you've got a mini Muppet area that, that works. That's, I think, the extent of what they can have, because I, I don't think a ride is realistic. Can we drill down a little bit? I, just, I'm, I know probably less about the Muppets than either of you two. Um, I've always enjoyed them. Like they're unlike a lot of the characters that have been put into Disney. They're, they're ones that I liked, but I was never like obsessed with them. Mm -hmm. And when we got this assignment for the show, my first thought was this was going to be really hard for me because I'm just sort of lukewarm on them. But Mm -hmm. I also think maybe that's kind of their strength, which is like the Muppets. They have such basic personalities that it doesn't take a lot of training 
for people to understand what each of them is about, right? You sort mm-hmm. of get it very quickly. You can pick up on them without having any backstory. Exactly. Which is a huge problem, I think, if you're really... It, it's, so all of that stuff Ben read earlier is irrelevant. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, if you look at, look at the mermaid ride, look at the typical IP injection, though. Yep. If you do a book report story... It's good for the people that don't know anything about the character, but it's it's sort of punitive to the it's it punishes people for truly being fans. So the biggest potential people that you're catering to are going to like it the least, which is sort of ironic in light of what it is, right? Mm-hmm. In other words, if the character itself is such a draw, then the book report approach is always going to be problematic because the people who really have a a tendency to like that character are going to be disappointed by the shallowness of the story that you're telling. But with the Muppets, what I see is they're so sort of, I think, you know, I'm no psychologist by a stretch, but they sort of all have these, they're very flat characters, right? They each sort of exude mostly one personality characteristic. So Mm -hmm. it's easy to understand them, which means you can really put them, and there's so many of them, they cover the whole spectrum. You could do anything with them, right? I mean, there's nothing, there's no story you can't tell without them and the way they, you know, just the nature of them is that it's sort of fun and irreverent. And it seems to me that they're, it's almost a blank canvas. And that's, that's kind of the interesting situation they have with these characters that makes them very unique outside of anything else that they own. To me, the Muppets are self-aware. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That, and, and that opens up a whole possibility of things that you could do with them. Uh, Take like frozen, for instance, you know, the frozen sing-along in the studios, you're supposed to imagine that you're going to Arendelle and these characters think that they're in Arendelle when they're in the show. The Something with the Muppets, you can make fun of that fact. You, the Muppets are like, dude, you're at a theme park right now and right. You know, you're know you stuck sitting in the show because your kids can't stop singing this. Like, there's I think so that's, many fun- that's a huge asset. Qu- yeah. Question about that. Uh, not to shit on your point, but it's what I do on the show. We've established that. <laughs> and I uh, appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, the... Uh, in the Frozen sing-along, it has been a few years since I've seen it, but initially, what I've experienced was that at least the uh, the narrators of it, not the characters from the yep. movie, but the narrators were were self-aware or at least self-referential uh, because they were like former comedy warehouse people. Is that yep. no longer the case, or are no, you they, speaking strictly of the characters? They do have a few instances of that, but again, okay. that's that's a one-off compared to okay, every other. Okay. Sure. You, know, you, you go see Beauty and the Beast; they're, you're you're watching Beauty and the Beast. You're, right, you're supposed right, to right. be. Uh, whereas. The, and, and that's, the Muppets I think that's, are part, that's part of the problem Disney has is the the Muppets can make fun of Disney, mm-hmm. but will, will right. Disney well, allow that? And so, so yeah, I was going to say that, and, and this will get to my attraction idea later on in the show, but that, that's absolutely one of my favorite things about Muppet vision. And it's in the area that people don't really experience anymore. But when you go down the queue and you see all the movie posters of the, yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the movies that they're starring in, you know, coming up and they're all, they all make fun of, you know, popular movies that we're all aware of. And uh, Disney, I think there is an opportunity that they could do something where they turn that needle back at themselves and kind of make fun of themselves a bit, but using characters that they own and doing right. it in a, not a mean way at all, but doing it in a, in a fun way. There's, there's definitely some opportunities that you could go with, with that if they, uh, if they had the guts to do it. Did you guys ever watch, you can't do that on television all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It worked, right? There's something sort of cool about once you get to a certain age, you realize that TV's fake, right? But when you see Wait people that are, that are yes, sorry, Tim. Huh? Is, I've got some bad news I, about the, the Celtics tooth fairy didn't for you really later. lose tonight. <laughs> 
but like there's something that's sort of transformational when you when you just say to the audience yeah you know we're, we're just being silly here and you can't do that on television use the same sort of method as, as the Muppets did right they're like they, it was a show about making a show like 30 Rock did it yeah, you can't yeah. do that on television Muppets and it really opens up this whole new world of storytelling that you can the do the last because Muppet show was basically mirrored after 30 Rock the last what? uh yeah, I didn't ABC hear what you said, sorry. The last ABC Muppet show was effectively mirroring 30 Rock. That was the goal. It, or that was, you could that totally was see why that works. Yeah. Um, yeah, it didn't really work in their case, but yes. Well, I mean, you can see what has the potential to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just, it's, you know, if, if the weakness of TV is that sometimes when you'd want to tell wild stories, it seems absurd, then when you are making a show about people making the show, all of that absurdity becomes the punchline of the joke. Right, right. Ready, aim. Wait, wait, wait. Stop the execution. <laughs> what is it this time? Come on, you can't do that on television. No, nobody remembers. I remember that. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to finish we, it. We, 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 act- we, we, we actively watched a show growing up where they, you know, had bits about executing kids. It's yeah. awesome. And we all grew up to be just <laughs> fine, M- mildly well adjusted. <laughs> So that dude, you know, I think his name was Barf or Barf. Barf. He, he was Barf, a, right? yeah, in the restaurant. He was the cook yeah. and yeah, the also cook. the executioner. He was the only <laughs> adult on that whole show. Every adult, adult character was played by him. He was I great. I another point, but I don't remember what it was. So I'm going to move on to the next question. Uh, this Did is you from, say I don't know? You should be getting slimed right now. Exactly. <laughs> That's true. Sorry. Uh, don't we'll wash it off with some water. Show title. You can't do that on a podcast. <laughs> Uh, Nick Stout says, which non-American Disney park best suits the Muppets and what kind of attraction would it be? So it's a good question. The, the thing you have to look at, if we're going non-American, uh, you've got a bunch of castle parks. So if you're going to say one of the castle parks, it's pretty much all the castle parks, right? Uh, alternatively, you have, Boy, I have a different approach to this question. The, the, the studios park in Paris or Tokyo Disney Sea. If you wanted to do Muppet Treasure Island, in theory, I guess you could do Tokyo Disney Sea, but I, I don't know that it really logically fits anywhere other than maybe the Studios Park, which is kind of a, a, a catch-all park in Paris. Josh, you got a different approach? Yeah. So if we define fit as being welcomed by the people that are going to see it, you put it in Japan, period. They love yeah. Americana, and that's what this is. This is the nature of these personalities and how they're presented is so sort of stereotypical okay. American in a lot of ways. And it probably transcends that to be human. I'm not su- suggest this is not when I confused the USA with earth by accident that one time, I'm just saying, <laughs> um, you know, there are certain, there are definitely attributes in those characters that really reflect sort of a lot of things that are deeply rooted in, in American culture. And I don't think that works in a lot of places that don't really sort of appreciate that probably satirically making fun of it. Um, but you know, I, I don't think that most of Europe would be, uh, as interested in something like that as Japan would. And I could be totally wrong about that, but just as an American looking from the inside out, that is to me, uh, what seems like the best fit. I have no idea what their popularity is in Japan. See, I was going to go, <laughs> I was going to go Paris because I, yeah. I do think, uh, you know, you've got some European, uh, characters like Pepe, uh, yeah. the prawn. Uh, and I even think like Sam Eagle, like going head to head with like French culture and, and yeah, I th- that could I th- be funny. I think there are some, and I the French don't mind kind of being made fun of themselves a little bit. They, they are a little bit more uh, acceptable to the self, uh, almost self, self, self defecating is what you're going for. <laughs> yeah. 
Self-defecating uh, so- <laughs> as well. What's the so- French word for surrender? <laughs> uh you know, I think there. I think there are some opportunities where uh, you know, the, obviously, the language is a little easier too. I, I don't know. I don't know. There, there's uh, these characters can translate even in the last. Was it the last uh, Muppets movie where Miss Piggy was working? Was she working in Paris? Uh, or was that the first? That was the first Muppet, the Jason Siegel one, where they had to go find her. She was working at a glamour magazine or a, a, a fashion company in Paris, and. Uh, I don't know. It's, for me, just something I think it translates a little. I think if you do something in Japan, it's going to be more of a basic clone. I think you can go a little bit more, you know, uh, you, you could go a little bit deeper with the comedy and the humor in, in uh, a European park. Ben, you were hitting on something um, about just the, the attraction posters that were in the queue. Uh, they brought some more of those in when they uh, released Muppets Most Wanted. Uh, for that reason, I think you and I are probably going to be in concert when we're discussing uh, our ride ideas in the future. But anyway, uh, next question from Kay Thompson, uh, Keenan Thompson, maybe glad you're a listener. Thanks. Welcome to the show, Keenan. Um, besides awesome. the evil Kermit at the villains unleashed event, was there ever a time you can meet and greet a Muppet? They, they had oversized versions yeah. of them when MGM first opened uh, and they were creepy and they kind of, they didn't last very long, maybe a year or two of that. The Uncanny Valley has proven to be problematic with walk-arounds. Remember the uh, what was the thing they had at Epcot with the giant uh, characters? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, like the inflatables? Yeah. I don't remember they, the name. It, of the, the Surprise in the Sky, maybe? Was that it? I don't think that was it. No, 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 no. These were... Oh, man. I, it's bugging me that I can't think of the name of it. There was they also were, the Muppet Mobile Lab as well with uh, Beaker and Bunsen Honeydew that went around on a Segway, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I remember that. That was cool. Very cool. It was like ninety five, ninety six, if I remember, because I think I got yeah. Like meet meet of, the Muppet. Meet the Muppets was the show. Was that, that was right? the original show where the monorail crashed through the stage, and that was painted to look like a rock, and Ariel sits on top of it now, or doesn't if the show doesn't come back. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the only time I can remember. Uh, you know, and even like with the uh, in a Disney park, I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. There's been other things in the past where like they've had Muppet we, things. I know because my brother has a uh, picture with Kermit. But we had requests all the time about meeting Sweetums, and okay. that is not allowed. Mainly because the mesh in the dark in the dark theater, you can't see the actor's face through the mesh mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you are in a regular lit area, you can easily Pretty see easy. the person <laughs> in the costume. So we never allowed uh, any meet and greets at all with Sweetums. Or you could say, uh, you can meet Sweetness, but you got to go into this dark room. And he's allowed <laughs> to touch you wherever he wants. And there's two of them. And sometimes there's none of them. <laughs> I have a funny story on that that I will tell you guys after the show has stopped recording. Ooh. Looking forward to it. <laughs> it was, that, that Epcot thing, by the way, was Tapestry of Nations. That's what I was trying to think of. Well, that was like more of a parade than anything. Yeah. That's our but show. Didn't they have, so, what, isn't so that where the giant characters for, uh, were? For not knowing what Tapestry no, of Nations is. Do you not know what I'm talking about? The, the, the giant, like, uh, they were... From various countries throughout World Showcase, was, but they were like yeah. eight feet oh, tall. Okay, I know what you're talking yeah. about. They're like, weren't they like it's a small world type things? Yes, but they were very creepy looking, and it, it and only because they they looked sort of humanoid, but they were way too big. Like that was my point: is when you make something that looks like a person, but it's either like creepily small or creepily big. People don't people don't like that. <laughs> For the record, I just googled giant small world Epcot. That was <laughs> that was about Google as useless as a Google, Google search there. <laughs> Not even close. So uh, next question comes to us from Joel Nons. He says, "Out of all the jobs at Muppet Vision 3D, what was Skipper Ben's favorite?" 
Uh, napping, napping in the in the. Uh, I, I was studio. gonna say yeah. that is my. I like spieling, so pre-show and theater uh, were my favorite two positions. Uh, you had to do a lot less work in the theater, and yes, you did get to nap. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I always did, I took my portable CD player, and I could listen to a CD back there. So I wouldn't imagine what I would be able to do with a smartphone um, back there <laughs> these days. But uh, in any any position where I got to do spieling uh, is was my favorite. Now, what would maybe put pre-show a little head of theater from time to time was uh, you had time where you could interact with guests. And that's actually my favorite thing to do at any time was just walking around an area and asking how people how their day was and getting into small conversations, being able to tell them to go do this or that, you know, give them recommendations, anything like that. Or uh, the other thing I would do is, you know, when I worked at Muppets, I bought fully into it as in like, I, I truly pretended like I worked at Muppet Labs. Uh, case in point, one of the optional piece of pieces of the costume that you wear was the white lab coats that you'll see from time to time. Was not required at all uh, to be part of your deal. And when I worked in the summer, the last thing you wanted was an extra layer of uh, heavy clothing uh, on top of you. But whenever I wore that lab coat, I felt like I worked like in a science laboratory. Uh, so it just gave me that extra level of being a part of the attraction in the show. And I would carry that over with, you know, walking through the area. And if I interacted with little kids and stuff, it wasn't uh, it, it was pretending like I worked for Kermit. I would tell them my boss is Kermit and, and, you know, just make up little stories and just trying to do anything to let them buy into it a little bit more of them being uh, part of the story and not just going to see another 3D movie. So uh, that's probably a longer explanation than I needed to give on there. So (laughs) I will just go pre-show or theater. Those are my two favorite positions. That's what we do here. What is the worst? Uh, I didn't like Exit. I didn't like exit at all. Uh, what is entailed in that position? That's where you get to stand outside and tell people to put their glasses in the bin. You get to go track down people if they walk past the bins with their glasses and go grab yeah. them from them. That uh, sounds and not it, fun. And then you're just stacking the glasses in these bags and carrying these big heavy bags uh, back, you know, to the to the stocking room. And then all you do is dump these glasses out that that when you dump them out on the table they're tangled and twisted and your job is just to get them and put them in these stacks of 75 and straighten them up and then go back out there for the next show and you had to get through an entire show before the next row dumped or you'd get way behind on stacking your glasses so it's something you had to do very quick people oftentimes didn't help you with it and they're supposed to be helping with you so um, you know you just find yourself doing most of the work the entire time and there's no guest interaction that's positive at all in that experience yeah. so there's just <laughs> It wasn't a fun position, and not that I hated any of the positions, but if I had to pick a least favorite, that would that would be it. Now, just to circle back briefly, did you ever get involved at all in the process of actually cleaning the glasses, or even know how they do it? Is it UV? It's like totally dry. Uh, no, because they come out wet. Okay. So they that and that's part of the reason why you drop them off, and then they. It was this, you know, it basically looked like a a drive through car wash. To be honest with you, it was like this huh. metal box and you you put them on this, you put these trays on rollers and you they'd push them through. And we never did it. We would just drop off the glasses, but we would see the process happening during the time of the drop off and the pickup. We never actually did it ourselves. There was a whole crew that handled the, the cleaning, uh, but that's all it was. They would just run through there. They would be cleaned uh, and then they would have time to dry before you picked them up the next day. But sometimes they wouldn't get the, you know, they wouldn't get fully dry and you, you'd tell they're wet. And you, oftentimes at Universal... Uh, 
they have the cleaning machines at each attraction and they will run glasses uh, through the machine multiple times a day. So they're, they're not like the Disney ones where they get used once and then they're cleaned and then they're not used for another a full day. Uh, again, Universal will run them through. So that's oftentimes why you, you know, you'll be in Spider-Man and when you go pick up a set of glasses, they'll be wet and, and they're using the same uh, machines that we used over at, at Disney. Interesting. interesting. That is very interesting. I'm uh, going to move over to Facebook now. We have one from uh, Paul Miller. Will there be Muppets in the parks like there were in Muppet Vision 3D? We kind of just discussed this, and I don't know if this was a serious question or not. I don't see them ever bring them back other than special occasions because the Muppets are – they're very specific about the puppeteering of them, aren't they? That like – Oh, yeah. Other than like, at least not from a meet and greet standpoint, I think they could absolutely bring back the um, uh, the same conceit as uh, great moments in American history with just another show. Yep, but not some not as a character that you can meet. But meet and greets no. in general may be changing uh, for all we know. Yep. So yep, uh, and, and those puppeteers are going to get paid on a much higher yeah, scale yeah. than and, and honestly, that's really what that show comes down to is how expensive it is to run it. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I think we're in a place in time where they're not going to be spending on things like that for, for the foreseeable future. That's the other thing. Some of these uh, follow-up questions are about timelines for how long they have in the parks. And all of that is obviously up in the air. But uh, next one is from Kurt Sutton. What was the best Muppets attraction in the parks and why was it Great Moments in History? Uh, <laughs> Great Moments in History was good, but I, I'm still going to give it to Muppet Vision. It's got the, yep. the longest run at uh, staying power and nothing against uh, Great Mo- uh, Moments in History or um, uh, what was the show called that was in the – you said it earlier, Ben. Me, the uh, meet, meet the Muppets. Meet the Muppets, yeah. Those are both fun, uh, fun shows. Uh, Meet the Muppets would be so dated right now. Uh, <laughs> it was like video tech, video conferencing was a big technology. Yep. But uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? I uh, think probably Muppet Vision. Yeah, and I'm going to go with the whole, you know, I love Walt for his thoughts and ideas and, and just being as innovative as he was. And so I default to anything that Jim Henson had a direct yeah. – fingers on and touched and, you know, had it, had a say in what was being put together that automatically, I mean, that they, they, they could come up with the greatest idea in the world for a new thing from up is going in the parks. And I'm always going to default to back to something that Jim Henson had a part in. And so it'll, it would take a monumental new attraction for me to ever displace Muppet vision. If great yeah. Muppets and uh, great Muppets in history, <laughs> great Muppets and Mr. Lincoln, <laughs> if great moments in American history had been done with robots, you know, like animatronics, I would have given the win to that. Um, <laughs> I also think there was room to expand that so that it was in more than one, more than one building. I kind of like the idea, the sort of organic integration of characters into a space. Like I dig that, but I think it was not really, it was sort of half baked. You know what, what they did was good. Don't get me wrong, but um I like the idea of a standalone legitimate attraction. And the only one between the two of them that is that is Muppet vision. Well, the thing, look at this also Muppet vision opened in 1991. Mm -hmm. There's nothing dated in that show. Like the jokes still hit for me. They're the, the, the most dated thing is the 3d animation for Waldo. Yeah. But as far as like the, the, the jokes and the, the lines that they wrote, uh, the you know how you can tell they wrote? the balloons at the end. They don't have like the balloon yep. within a balloon. That's like yep. the biggest tell. That's yep. it. But the, the the content of the show has never been updated as far Corniness as like the, is timeless. 
<laughs> I don't mean line, that insultingly at all. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, a, for, lot of, for, a lot of new Disney attractions take themselves very seriously, and that is a definite way to, uh, you know, put an expiration date on something. Yeah. So that that's the timely, uh, timelessness of the attraction for me, just in the, the content that they feature in it. People still laugh. They, they, yeah. there are certain, there are punchlines in there that are so funny and they still hit and we're going on what 30 years. Yep. So yeah. that, that's, that, that's, that's very impressive. Now, you know, I've never, I guess I've never even thought of the attraction in those terms of how old it is and, and how well it still plays. So, uh, that says a lot. In 10 more years, the attraction may need a colonoscopy. <laughs> uh, I hate, I hate, I hate you. <laughs> No. <laughs> uh, two things. One, uh, I'm still trying to figure out what show Josh was talking about because I don't think it was Tapestry of Nations. And I googled Small World Epcot. The first result is an image on Etsy of a very attractive young woman uh, in a Mickey Mouse t-shirt and panties and nothing else. Uh, so have fun with that, guys. Um, <laughs> the other thing, yep. uh, Ben, I, I don't know if I've asked you this. There apparently is a point in Muppet Vision where Frank Oz is visible. Uh, and I think it's going into the Muppet Labs. I have watched that scene uh, both on YouTube and in person, and I have yet to see him. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? I I am not. Okay. Uh, I, I saw your note on that. I went to look, and I never. I've never. That was never pointed out to me, uh, and never said. There's two lines. There were there were two things that were pointed out to me by people who work there that I and I have no idea if this is 100 percent true or not. Uh, and one of them is an audio cue where supposedly Kermit calls Miss Piggy fatso. <laughs> okay. And it's, uh, it's after the bean bunny part where she gets pulled into the water and they tell her she, you know, she comes out wrapped in a towel and she's all wet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Kermit says something about being leaving the show and she's like, good riddance. And if you listen right after that, I think he says that's so, but it, if you can, you can make your brain think he's yeah, saying that's so, so now I can never watch that scene without thinking he's calling her a fatso. Uh, and that came directly from somebody who, you know, was training us and working with us and had been at the attraction much longer than I have. The other part is I was told about Miss Piggy's head falling off. That was the next question. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so during during that scene where she holds on to the, the ski rope and gets pulled away, um, she gets pulled away very fast. And at the bottom corner of the screen – her head stays on the screen a little bit longer than you would think it would if her if her head was still attached to her body and being pulled away by the boat. So that watch for that next time. It do, it definitely does look like her head leaves the body. Yeah, uh, and it's it floating could just in the be water. The hat, but it also it, looks like she gets decapitated. Yep. Yeah. It, it to me it definitely looks like the head is sitting there in the water by itself for you know a a, a fraction of a few a second longer than it should be. Okay. And I think I found the show. I think it was part of Skylidoscope, Skylidoscope, and the Surprise in the Sky when the inflatable, uh, s- kind of maybe racist Disney characters would inflate around World Showcase. Lagoon no, dress. these weren't inflatable. These were like I don't know what they're called. It's like a combination <laughs> of like stilts and ah, uh, it's driving okay. me nuts. If, if the combination of stilts and that's it was a parade that went around. That was Tapestry of Nations. Which is, what which is what you said. That's what I said, and you said no. Because you, it, you described it as like small world characters. But it wasn't Yeah, they're characters. creepy like small world characters, but they're much larger. 
Those are creepily <laughs> tiny. These were creepily <laughs> tall. There was there was definitely something where I think it might have been at the Magic Kingdom. Now that I think about it, where they had like giant small world characters parading down, and that was creepy as well. The inflatables was was what I was thinking of, and that was Disney characters around World Showcase. Yeah. No, I, I know I said yes when you asked, and I immediately <laughs> regretted my decision. This is all, this is all your spoke, fault. <laughs> these were. I, I know people who went to Epcot in the 90s know exactly what I'm talking you about. You have a computer, were, Google Tapestry of Nations, see if that's what you're talking about. I am Googling, and I'm having no luck whatsoever. <laughs> Which This picture has haunted me. You don't understand. This, I couldn't take it away from it, and all of a sudden I can't okay, find it. I'll tell you it. what, to make it even, I will Google Robles, Robert Stack at the same time, so I can also. All right, have at least that's fair. <laughs> I'm so confused. Creepy, tall character. <laughs> it's, it's been established that I do not like Robert Stack's voice, the uh, the host of Unsolved he Mysteries. Just like Jeremy and Pippen. we are continuing the airplane references for those keeping track at home. <laughs> Imagine. Anyway, uh, moving on to the next question. Uh, Kirk Landry asks, "What's the over under on Muppets court Muppet courtyards? I can't speak Muppets courtyards. It is Muppet courtyards. Uh, fuck." <laughs> What what part is plural? Muppet Are courtyard. You too, I would predict that our iTunes rating after this show is going to be about a three. <laughs> we are an hour seven of the podcast. What's the over under on Muppets Courtyard remaining lifespan? <laughs> I think he wrote it right, and I just can't read. But anyway, uh, the Muppet area of Hollywood Studios. How long does it last? And who's watching a video? That's that's unsolved mysteries, baby. That's have a set coming for you. <laughs> The audio quality is great, Josh. You should keep that up. That was bad. Don't blame me for that. <laughs> That's me and my phone. Anyway. I'm not bothering anybody. <laughs> well, probably not true. Now I, I can't turn it off. This is an unsolved mystery. Why won't... Oh, there we go. I think okay. at one point, uh, Star Wars Land was going to go into Echo Lake and probably creep into Muppets. Yeah. Which tells me that it's probably not long, but at the same time, COVID rules mean lack of expansion. And I also think that's probably not the next spot that they add to. I think Animation Courtyard is probably next. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that all properties that are sort of on the bubble got a reprieve from COVID yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I mean, I would. I think we said it last episode that Star Tours probably has at least another five years. And I mean... One of uh, I started my idea internally for uh, uh, what to do with Muppets as a retrofit to Star Tours because I thought that would be the, like the likeliest scenario of getting a Muppets attraction in the park. Just yep. because I don't, I wouldn't think that they would do a fresh build. Um, that would be the way to give them a, a longer reprieve because it's adjacent to it. You could kind of do it, but um, I think they just keep things as is. Uh, because it's not really bothering anybody and its capacity for the park. Uh, so it wouldn't surprise me if it's there 10 years from now, but they've already closed Muppet Vision over in California Adventure. So if there's a if there's a reason to, to change it, then they will. But, well, I, uh, just to be fair, the one in California Adventure, nobody ever went to that. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it, it never had any kind of capacity. I was actually working uh, the attraction when the Imagineers came and basically just scanned our entire building trying to uh, figure out what they wanted to take over to DCA for their version of the attraction. Um, but even from the day that opened, nobody went to it. Whereas Muppets, even now, especially now, there's some kind of ridiculously long lines for it, uh, especially with the lack of capacity in the park. You can you can see 20, 30, 40 minute waits for Muppets uh, today uh, that you just never saw in California. So I, I, it was an easy decision for them to close that down and, and do something different in that space. Tim, Josh, I, just I, believe you, 
yeah, I sent you two I, messages. <laughs> this is this is again great pod. Uh, they are very creepy. I I want to say that was early eighties. Uh, okay, but that might also be that might also be Adventureland. The first one. Are you saying it's Norway? Yeah. Well, it's the, 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 if it says Norway, then it's clearly not early eighties because that Norway didn't come to be until eighty nine. So I think those characters were there before the actual pavilion opened, if I remember correctly. Okay. But I don't remember what they're called. But for anyone listening, please write me, save me for myself. Just tell me what I forgot. I, I, it, this was part of a thing. And I think it was pretty <laughs> unanimously agreed that these things were creepy because they're about three and a half times what a normal person would be. Hey, thanks Dude, for, just, what, thanks just, for sending just, to me, Josh. Just post Sorry. them to uh, our <laughs> Facebook account now, uh, our fo- uh, Facebook page now, and say, does anybody know what the hell these creepy things are? Uh, and include a photo of Robert Sack for good measure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, uh, moving away from that, um, I, th- I think that Muppets will probably have a place in the park at least for five years at the absolute minimum because I don't think they're doing much in the way of significant changes to the area. Uh, let's see. David Thacker, I wish there was a Muppet movie or a great Muppet caper ride. H- uh, how, what, and where could this go? Uh, we're going to get into that when we discuss uh, John Name Redacted, uh, his question. Um, make it Muppets in space and they could leave it right where it is in Batu. Uh, I was not against that idea and had that cross my thought process. I like it. Muppets in space are cool. Anything with space, I'm for. Pigs uh, in space. Yes. Uh, Seth Crawford, I would love to see the Muppets get a greater presence in the Disney parks, but I feel Disney isn't really willing to give them the popularity boost. They need to accomplish, uh, accomplish that. Look how Disney has treated the films and TV series. We kind of discussed this, though. I think that it might be that the theme parks are the best environment for them. Um, and yes, you can't really meet them very easily, but perhaps those types of unscheduled appearances and windows, and if they're robots, they're robots, um, that might be the best way to encounter the Muppets. Uh, and maybe not even necessarily a structured, a structured show, but an actual environment where they're just yelling at people from windows and well, uh, otherwise having calamity ensue. You also had the uh, the the Beaker and Doctor Bunsen Honeydew, uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, roaming characters, lab. yeah, and that was a huge success for people who saw that. And so, uh, you know, I, I guess I, I never understood why they took it away, or if there were issues with the how it ran, or you, uh, you know, I don't think it was very expensive to run that out there uh, on stage on a daily basis, but uh, I'm talking out my butt right now, knowing how all that those operated. like major imagineering expenditures, they, they run for a very short period of time. Like lucky the dinosaur, the Muppet mobile lab, the Wally thing that walked around the droid in Disneyland that they tested and never put into, uh, which almost two. makes you wonder why the hell they do it. I think to spend money. Um, there is a special on that droid that was uh, a prototype in Disneyland. That's on the one day at Disney shorts that just came out, I think on Friday. So that's mm-hmm. worth seeing. Um, Last question from Facebook, uh, Dave Kell. What is the optimal format for Muppets in the Parks? An updated screen show and less valuable real estate. Uh, I think that's actually the best question here. Like, what f- media form is uh, are they best suited for? Is it a ride? Is it a uh, is it a show? Um, and again, Ben and I will get into this. Uh, multiple window shows throughout the park. All the great moments are Mr. Uh, with uh, great moments in American history, rather. Um, dark rides, Splash Mountain, etc. Um, that's a good springboard into mm-hmm. uh, the question that we read earlier. To refresh, uh, Muppets should warrant their own land. Uh, how would we design a Muppet land? For me, I think there were existing ideas that were very good, but I don't want to necessarily just do that. So 
Ben, what did you come up with for for ways to treat a Muppet Land or a Muppet Attraction? Uh, well, I do think one thing that you touched on, you'll touch on it more here, uh, redoing Star Tours mm-hmm. and using that attraction. I was almost thinking like a moving right along uh, ride okay. where, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're in the, uh, the, the van of the Electric Mayhem or, you know, you're in the car with Kermit and them like from the movies and singing along and you can just do a – Reuse that same simulator attraction with the screen in front of it and and make that work. Uh, almost, you know, in, instead of having C-3PO up there, obviously the Muppet characters are considerably smaller than him. So you could almost do like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 type feel idea. with uh, several characters sitting in front of you and you're sitting in the seats behind them and going on whatever adventure. Uh, but not necessarily – I don't think we'll ever get a land. I would never even think that that's a possibility unless they – they did something with Star Tours and kept Muppet Vision, and then you could, you know, kind of consider that a, a mini land itself. But you rethemed two restaurants and you put a show in the, uh, the uh, above Grand Avenue, and you could call that a land. That's well, what you'd I'll, have to do. I'll beat you to it. What if you put a dark ride in the Mama Melrose spot? Do you need to, do you need that restaurant back there? Can you no. add another restaurant in another part of the park and use that building space? And then you could do a land there. Because what I was thinking, I, I've always loved the the great movie ride kind of mm-hmm. spin uh, idea uh, again, going back to the self-awareness of the Muppets. So instead of, you know, going with, obviously that doesn't work nearly as well now because you don't have the great movie ride to make fun of. Uh, so you'd need to do something different, but I would, I would want something that's self-aware there. I would love to see a kind of a take, you know, making fun of a fantasy land attraction. Okay. And again, it's, it's a fantasy land ride based on a Muppets movie based on a fairy tale. I thought we were going to have bullet points that were exactly the same, but you went in a different direction. So I'm glad. So that, that's, that's my, you know, maybe, maybe it's Muppets frozen. I, I'm just saying frozen for shits and giggles. Yeah. yeah but, no, no, it makes sense. Though. Know, I like it. Mupp, fro- the, and then you get the Mupp, the frozen Muppets ride and it, it's their version of a dark ride where things just don't go as smoothly as a dark ride at the magic kingdom goes through, you know, the whole step-by-step telling the story, everything runs perfectly fine, beginning to end. They they attempt to do that on theirs, but crap goes wrong halfway through it. I think you see some behind-the-scenes stuff. I think you see, uh, you know, technicians trying to fix break things the on the wall, ride. Sort of you thing. break yeah. the fourth wall that the ride itself is breaking, and they're trying to fix it. And by the time you get to the end, uh, things are finally fixed, but you're at the end of the ride, and it's over, and you got to get in line and do it all over again. That's, that's what I would love to see uh, uh, from a Muppets attraction. I, I like it a lot. I think, would you concentrate on a single... Uh, movie that they're yes. trying to make the okay yeah so kind of kind of like your idea of Muppets Treasure Island this is the Muppet yeah, Treasure yeah. Island ride but I I would specifically make it a spoof of a Disney classic okay and, and, yeah, and like just it. go as meta as you possibly can on it yeah I like it I I didn't deviate that far from the uh, the Muppet movie ride but I wanted to come up with a way to make it fit the park and I had the mindset of like the production aspect of things and the original park conceit. Uh, so my pitch was the Muppets are hosting an award show and because a variety of celebrities can't do it, they've all been canceled for one reason or another. The Muppets are the ones hosting the award show and they're filming the opening sequence where they hit a bunch of movies at the same time. So that's kind of the setup for uh, them appearing in various film roles throughout history. So um 
I had it with like Kermit as the director. Uh, you could have other characters in charge of lighting. You could have Statler and Waldorf heckle during each scene. But the uh, the movies that I came up with that I thought would be fun to have the Muppets represent, and this kind of goes to what Josh said earlier on, where the Muppets have very narrow defined roles and it could be fun to play with those things in a concept like this. And I imagine that's probably what the original concept was going to play up as well. It didn't necessarily even need a story other than they were being self-referential to the great movie ride. But I had uh, young Frankenstein, which they've done versions of, they've done Frankenstein before, but uh, I, I felt that was prime for Beaker and Dr. Bunsen honeydew. I uh, have some sight gags there with Beaker getting zapped Um I thought a uh, This is Spinal Tap uh, take with Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem Band would be very fun. It's not Disney-owned, but whatever. <laughs> we're being <laughs> – we, we can do what we want. Those are problems that can be solved yep, with exactly. money. Uh, I can't imagine that the theme park rights for This is Spinal Tap are going to be high demand. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, Alien. That's doable. I, I, I love the idea of Miss Piggy as Sigourney Weaver and being self-referential there. And you could have Animal as the alien. Planet of the Apes, Sam Eagle as Charlton Heston on the beach ne- next to the Statue of Liberty. He won't get his lines, and he keeps on focusing on why they took down the Statue of Liberty. Um, Pulp Fiction, I think you can have Fozzie and Rolf in the car talking about burgers. Uh, Sound of Music, I like this one because uh, it's beyond stupid, but the Swedish chef is Julie Andrews spinning around and coming over the hill, uh, the gag being that he can't sing. And just a couple of other things like those uh, posters have been talked about. Uh, there's an endless supply of ideas that would go with it. Uh, it would all be very fun, but the reality of the Muppets is I just don't see them spending the money for an attraction like this. I think the most realistic approach would be a redo of Star Tours. That if you're a Muppet fan and you want to see them in the parks in a ride, I think that is your most realistic option there. But. I don't know if you guys had any additional thoughts on that, Josh. I know you had some high-level things, if you wanted to get into them. Yeah, I mean, pretty basic. I mean, while I've criticized the injection of IP into Epcot on many occasions, I almost feel like advocating to stick the Muppets in Star Wars. uh, You know, Galaxy's Edge is basically doing the same thing. It's really sort of disrupting a single theme and then trying to... We're kind of saying adjacent from it, but yeah. Yeah, uh, fair enough. But... The irony is that I I think the Muppets are a franchise that they could put into Epcot because what the Muppets are about... This is Ben's role to F up Epcot? I know. Well, I mean, if you're going to put one there, um, (laughs) because what I like about the Muppets is that what makes them good is actually the characters themselves in terms of their personality traits, rather than necessarily any given context. So I think that... One of the things I'd like to see Epcot get back to is trying to tell important stories about real life, but doing so in a whimsical and fun way to maybe make people interested in it when they otherwise wouldn't be. So, you know, whether it's, you know, energy or conservation or, or anything, really, any story that might be dry based solely on its subject matter, I feel like the Muppets would be a great cast of characters to tell that story because they encompass the whole range of, of human emotions from, you know, people understand things, irreverence. I mean, there's so much that you can do that would really frame any issue in a way that would probably not be offensive to most people, even if they have, even if it's an issue that has some political components to it, because at the end of the day, you know, we're all just people. Most people don't actually think they're terrible. Most people who you disagree with on everything probably thinks they're, 
standing for what's right. So when you can have a set of characters that are sort of, they embody a lot of what humanity is, but they're separate enough from it that you can sort of let the story unfold before you without getting drawn into sort of that combative mindset, I think is an opportunity both to maybe shape the future in a positive way, but also, uh, you know, expose people to things that they're tangentially aware of, give them a little bit more of a deeper insight and do it in a way that is primarily fun, but also educational. So I realize that's so high level as to have said almost nothing. Um, but I do think that they have an asset there with the Muppets to do that. Um, and I hope that if there's some story out there that they want to tell and they can't quite figure out what the vehicle is to do it, I hope that they will consider that maybe the Muppets might be that. Okay. I mean, they are safe. And that's the that's the biggest thing uh, that they have going for them, I think, is that should they want to put in a rather serious message, I think they accomplished it. And there was a lot of division about the Muppets doing the uh, great moments in American history. People thought this is not the appropriate use of them for, they said it's not doing Liberty square justice. It's not doing Muppets justice. And you could certainly argue that like this type of show is better suited for just Muppet silliness. But I think when people saw the show, they were very pleased with it. They're, they're pleasantly surprised. And those are the types of things that we haven't heard as much where IP integration uh, as an extension of the existing theme and in a way that actually works. So mm-hmm. I'm, I think there's a tremendous amount of power in addressing a very serious subject in a very silly way. Yeah. yeah. You can, you can get to some people that otherwise are unreachable because their, their guard is just up so high that they don't want to be told anything, but you know, there's nothing we know that we didn't learn. So there's always an opportunity to have an experience that increases, you know, what we know. What will be interesting is uh, on the debate tomorrow night, uh, when we're recording this, uh, the Muppets will be simulcasting on the Disney Channel with their own version of it recapping everything, but in a much more lighthearted way. Oh. Yeah, so, fun fact. Uh, on that note, why don't we end the show? Hey. Uh, if you have any questions or topics... So yes. soon? <laughs> if you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled or join in on the discussions in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliate link over on martycalled.com. Daylight savings time is coming up. Use our link to buy a new alarm clock because you can't figure out how to change your old one. Doesn't cost you anything, but helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make anyway. Ben, Strong where marketing. We, <laughs> ben, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RealSkipperBen, ben, and you can find my top ten in every issue of Attractions Magazine. You can find me, Real Skipper Hen. That's, a, that's Ben's ben. girlfriend on there. <laughs> uh, Josh, same question. Uh, utilidors.com. Uh, Utilidors spelled wrong with two O's. Second O stands for O. Okay. And that oh is spelled with an H. That's really confusing. Uh, and you can find Damn me. It. Now you just ruined it. <laughs> now I'm not going to get any sales. <laughs> you can find me at WDW Theme Parks on Twitter, www.themeparks.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Talk to you later. Good night. I've had to pee for the last 45 minutes.
you mind if I start the show? Just curious. <laughs> Go with what you feel. Okay. If you want. Hello, Don't everyone. And thank you for the shut up. <laughs> Now recording. Now recording. Jeremy Piven. I really don't think that sounds like Jeremy Piven, by the way. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'll give you, you, in PCU, there's a few lines that he did. I'll, Perhaps I'll have to clip them now. Perhaps if someone who's never heard Jeremy Piven, then yes. <laughs> no. I've always just let that comment go. Be like, oh yeah, Josh. Yep, Jeremy Piven. Dude, sure, Josh. God damn it. I'm, you know what? We're not doing the show tonight. I'm going to find this movie clip and we're all going to watch it. Now recording. I don't know if you're aware of this, Gutter, but there actually was music recorded before 1989. What is this? You're going to wear this to the show. You're going to wear the shirt of the band you're going to go see. Don't be that guy. 